Hey everybody, Tim Root, the host of 20 Years of Nitro here, uh, just preempting the show a little bit to tell you about a couple things. Um, the first is going to be that this particular episode of Nitro, the upload on the WWE Network, you hear us talk a couple times, there's a few technical difficulties with it. Um, one is there's a little bit of time missed in one of the matches, it, it, I don't know, it got cut off, the original airing or something. Um, the second, we, we talk a little bit about the audio cutting out uh, during some ring entrances. Uh, it seems like when they overdub the entrance music that it, it cuts the audio. What we don't mention is that the sound quality of this episode on the network itself is... is um, there's something up with the sound where it sounds kind of tinny or, or, or digitized in a way. You'll probably notice yourself because the reason I'm, I'm saying this is uh, you'll hear in our clips tonight that there's just something off about the audio so I wanted to just let you know that that's not uh, anything we did that's just the way it is on the network I I originally thought that this was happening on the laptop I was watching it on but I found that the same was true on my phone and uh, a different laptop as well so it, it's just something with the uh, original upload and the second thing I want to talk about quickly is uh, our super fan Drucifer at Drucifer on Twitter uh, he has a new podcast that I think you guys would like uh, him and a friend, they they attend their weekly indie fed, Rockstar Pro Wrestling. I think it's it seems like it's weekly. Um, they they go fairly often, and uh, on their ride home, they sort of break down the show that they saw, the angles, the performances. They've got interviews with a lot of the guys. They've been getting good uh, participation from, I believe, the uh, star is Jake Christ, um, one of the Christ. I know there's there's brothers um, who's the head booker, and and they've gotten some great participation. Um, from the actual the boys, uh, so that's it's been really fun to listen to, um, and it's not just related to that Rockstar Pro Wrestling. They've also recorded episodes um, coming home from NXT, and uh, I think they've done some others. Uh, I'm I'm so behind on the many many podcasts I have. I've, I've listened to a few episodes, but I'm working my way through the catalog. They're a great new podcast, and I think that you will like them. So I, uh, Drewsfer has been such a supporter of us on on Twitter that I wanted to make sure to shout out his show. So anyway, once again, that's the Road Home from Wrestling. Uh, you can follow them on all your standard, you know, whatever you're listening to the show on, you can you can find them on there. And you can follow them on Twitter as well at the Road Home FW. So go ahead, uh, give them a follow, give them a listen, subscribe, rate, review. You guys know what to do. So uh, please enjoy and enjoy this episode of our show as we look at the 41st episode of Monday Nitro. Well, you know, as Alexander the Great stood on top of 
Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. (laughs) I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my chuckling at my overly complicated intro broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> I like it. It gets more and more compl- complex each time. No, it's been the same all <laughs> since it? I changed it. It's been the exact same all three times. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, today is the 41st episode of Nitro, June 24th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from Independence Arena, uh, formerly the Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina, in front of a sold out house of 6,000 fans. 4,238 of whom paid $48,199 for the privilege of seeing the show. Yeah, so that, and that sounds similar to what it was last week off the top of my head. Um, and that seems like a good number. Yeah, I think so. About 4,000 paying, yeah. They're here in the heart of Flair country and they've they've sold it out. And that number of comps, I mean, that's it's a lot, still kind of a high number of comps, but I, you know, Flair's probably got a lot of, friends in the area kevin green is on the show tonight i'm sure he's probably handing out a lot of comps to some of the nfl guys and <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of tickets <laughs> so uh before we get into nitro this week uh i was just kind of curious uh you recently went to chicago where you saw the nxt takeover show and yes. uh, backlash pay-per-view mm-hmm. you were there for the big jinder mahal title win <laughs> i sure as hell uh, was we've texted about it just a little bit but we really <laughs> haven't uh talked about it so i was wondering how was the trip how was how was being live at those uh consecutive shows oh man it was like night and day between the two because nxt was amazing right and backlash was not amazing <laughs> yeah that nxt show i have not finished it i haven't watched the atami bobby Roode match Mm-hmm. And I have not watched the women's match, but I watched the ladder match and the UK title match and uh, Roderick Strong, Eric Young, which I thought was a very strong opener, too. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. And um, and we were treated to that uh, NXT like taping as well of a couple of matches. So we got to see uh, Drew McIntyre. Oh, sure. Uh, we got to see um, the Velveteen Dream. Yeah, Patrick Clark. <laughs> yes. And so that was a thing. And then we also saw Aleister Black. Oh, and uh, yeah. And so and I was telling my brother about I was like, oh, he does this thing where he rises up. Yeah. But then he happened to face like one of my brother's favorite guys, Kurt Hawkins. (laughs) Of course. John, if you're listening, of course, (laughs) of course. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't know how it plays off cause I haven't watched it yet, yeah. but, um, that, that the UK title match was amazing. It was an incredible match. I had a lot of fun watching it and I would, I'd like to watch it again sometime. It's, it's not that long. It didn't feel very long. It felt like it was, maybe 12 minutes, 15 minutes. It's a, it was around 15 minutes. I was remarking to my brother afterwards that the longest match was the ladder match, which was 20 minutes long. Sure. Um, but the thing was like between NXT and backlash there's like a very different audience oh sure there is a lot more i mean i would just say there's a lot more casual fans at backlash and they there was definitely more uh attempts to start up like not appropriate chance oh sure uh my one of my favorite parts of nxt was that that some people try to do a cm punk chan and they got just booed (laughs) relentlessly (laughs) 
Yeah, we, uh, you and I love CM Punk, but yeah, people need to stop that shit now. Like, yeah, you got to get like, over it, guys. You got, I mean, when it gets to the point where Chicago is saying let it go, right? You know, you got to move on to something else. Now that is the speaking of Chicago and CM Punk. That's the same building where you and I saw Money in the Bank 2011. Is that correct? Uh, Rosemount, Rosemount, or Allstate Arena, whatever. Allstate, yeah, because we um, we we parked in the Target parking lot, which are like no event parking, but everyone used it anyway. But uh, yeah, it was like it was a lot of fun. Um, it backlash seemed to have only a marginal more people there. Sure. Um, and just you know, and we we were we sat like right in front of like the most outrageously racist guy. Oh God. That was that he, he seemed really cocky in how, how on like unabashedly annoying he was going to be. Right. And basically it was announcing it from the beginning. So no, I was that show. I mean, that NXT I think is like one of the top takeover shows that they've had. Yeah. I wasn't uh, kind of as excited going into it as I have been for other NXT shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, but it really over delivered. I thought, and I've heard good things about the Atami match. Uh, even though I would say neither of those guys are two of my favorites, I've heard that it's actually a very solid uh, championship match. Yeah, and they, and they did because typically title matches in WWE now nowadays are all about like the false finishes with the finishing moves. Right. But you know, what they did with that one was that Atami hit the go to sleep. And Bobby Roode rolled out of the ring right away. Oh, okay. And they did the part where uh, Tommy... the move, but he still... And the Tommy, like, going out there desperate to get him back in the ring, but he just didn't get him back in the ring quick enough. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I thought it played off really well, and it was only, like, you know, 12 or 13 minutes long, which I think is a fair amount for, for Bobby Roode. But, uh, no, they... A lot of people were kind of talking about how this was, like, the new era for NXT, especially since, like, Samoa Joe is gone, Nakamura is gone, and Ty Dillinger, Ty Dillinger. Yeah. Cause he was like the big hype guy basically. Right. right. And, uh, I think they're they're now going to have like their first, like m- legitimate rivalry between Tommaso Ciampa and, um, Oh man. And yeah. Johnny wrestling, Johnny Gargano. Yeah. That's going to be fun to watch. Gargano's so goddamn good. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is like when there was like the, the betrayal, we were from a, we had a really bad angle on that. So we didn't see most of it, (laughs) but no, it was a really, really good show. And, uh, uh, and then the second show was really, really disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see, we'll see where tonight's uh, nitro falls into place along that spectrum as Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the queen city. He will be sticking around for both hours again this week, uh, joined by Bobby in hour two and Larry Zabisco in hour one as Bischoff is still recuperating with no timeline for his return. Tony plugs Bash at the Beach as the most important event in WCW history, and it's coming up on July 7th, meaning we've only got this show and one more Nitro uh, before we get to the big day. Mm-hmm. Now, Tony's known for his overhyping things. Yeah. I would say arguably, almost inarguably, the Bash at the Beach is the most important show perhaps that WCW has ever had to this point, right? And at least it's like, legitimately that's why they're hyping it it's not sure. it's not simply like this nitro this week is the most important nitro of all time right right, like, right. that tony eventually gets into this is one where that that is the angle is like this is there's never been a more important pay-per-view for wcw because it's like defending their grounds against us out this outside the hostile takeover um does it do you think and, and maybe it's just too early in the storyline to introduce this element um 
But it just kind of occurs to me talking about how well, I, I was on his side a second ago saying it is it is the most important. But really, if you think about it, there's no consequences to that main event. If Sting, Luger, and Randy Savage lose, it's not like Vince McMahon struts into Nitro the next night and owns the company. They never really define what hostile takeover means exactly, but maybe they will. I mean, we've got another show and a half before we get to the pay-per-view. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't know. There isn't really any sort of like set in stone. Like these are the, the these. This is the stipulation. This is the consequence if they lose or anything like that. It's not like, you know, they get to like run WCW or anything like that. But it's just implied that this is a very very important. Like there's a line in been drawn in the sand. I don't know. Like maybe the indication is that like if if uh, Hall and Nash are victorious, that means that they can bring more of their guys into WCW to kind of run yeah, things. Yeah. But, uh, and they're, they also are really occupied with this third man, um, who's right. the third man sort of thing. So they kind of, they don't really ever address the consequences, <laughs> at least not to this point. I don't know what it looks like next week. After being introduced, Larry Zabisco makes a really strained metaphor about Alexander the Great, uh, you know, sort of the famous anecdote that he wept uh, atop the mountaintop because there were no new worlds for him to conquer. Right. <laughs> um, but now he says there's plenty of world to conquer and the world is wrestling and this is where the big boys play. And that's a really fucking convoluted metaphor. <laughs> right. He's like, this guy wept because there were no new worlds to conquer, but this time there is a new world and it's wrestling. It's like, but okay, but there's, who, who's Alexander the Great in the scenario? I guess Scott Hall, the guy you, you don't like. <laughs> I mean, is it that they were looking upon the destruction they laid out of the WWF? He just, he clearly likes to say things that make him sound educated. Yeah. But a lot of times when you think about it, they don't make him sound smart. Yeah. Those are two different things. And, and so I wrote down what I think he said after this. Okay. Something about the history of pro wrestling is being called upon for change. And that change is proof that WCW is where the big boys play. In which it's a, and he does this a lot when he's yeah. trying to sound really smart that he puts phrases together that don't make any sense together. Yes. <laughs> it, it's like, it's almost as if his brain's like, I, no, I'm not catching on to what you're doing here. You're just going to have to spit out whatever we have left. I've got some real problems with Larry that we'll get to later in the show. <laughs> Tony walks us through the history of you know who they are <laughs> as the Charlotte crowd chants for Ric Flair. We see footage of Nash and Hall's attack on Bischoff at the Great American Bash. Uh, no stills this time as there's no replay to be shilling for, so we see the full table spot this time. Tony plugs the six-man match at the pay-per-view and throws it over to Mean Gene, who's in the locker room with the WCW team. All right, again, Tony Schiavone, I thank you. I must say that very graphic footage has got to stimulate these men because we are inside two weeks. Lex Luger Sting and the Macho Man Randy Savage to meet these two outsiders, and we're going to find out the evening of the Bash at the Beach who their third man will be. Just like Charlotte, North Carolina's Flair's country, WCW is our country, yeah. yeah, united by the face pain of the stinger, yeah. We are focused in different directions, that's true. Mongo McNichol, yeah, you and Ric Flair, we got the deal, we know the deal. Divide and conquer is what we're going to do, right? You Thank you very much, All right, uh, Lex Luger, Sting, gentlemen, let's go back, let's go back recently 
on this very television program, Sting, from the outset, when these, when these men came in here, you took exception to them. You knew what they were here for. They were here to disrupt. And I want to take a look because Nobody it got to the point where you couldn't take do. anymore. There's no question, Mean Gene. I don't mind Nobody somebody that wants to walk into WCW or anywhere do. in the entire world and make a statement. But the bottom line is, a grown man does not come and make a statement, not to mention a physical statement, to a commentator. Why not try to pick on a wrestler? You want three guys, that's all I hear every single week. Yet you only produce two. What is the deal? The macho man is frothing at the mouth, and so is the package, and so am I. Lex Luger. We're unified as a team. WWCW stands tall. They stand strong. They say it's where the big boys play. These guys are gonna find out what a war is all about because we're all in paint. We're unified as a unit because we are the very best. Isn't that right, Stinger? Yes, the very best. This is definitely where the big boys play. And you guess know, what? Lexus, hey, 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 wait a minute now, Scott Steiner. We've been a long time. And if you need us to watch your back, we'll be there. But that's later on down the line. Tonight, the belt's on the line, and you better worry about us. All right, Rick Steiner, your thoughts? Hey, I can care less about the belt. What do you oh, guys wait a minute, hard, up, hard, Gino? Hard, it it got to go like this here. Me and my brother, we got to score to settle with this punk right here from Las Vegas, Nevada, when I got cold cut with a roll of silver dollars. And you, Steve. Yeah, you saw the whole thing, and as far as I'm concerned, you like two peas in a pot. And this sucker hey, right hey, here, hey, and this sucker. Hey, 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 Gene says that the very graphic footage of uh, that attack on Bischoff is sure to stimulate these men. <laughs> Interesting choice of words right there. Luger and Macho Man have Sting, uh, Sting's makeup on, or like variations upon it. Yeah. It looks very uh, natural on uh, Macho Man. It looks very, very off on Luger. Because he's got his like calm, cocky demeanor and then goofy face paint on. Mm-hmm. And you realize like he only just wears black trunks black boots like he he kind of wrestles with his personality being his body basically so it's very weird to see him in any kind of goofy get up yeah from the beginning uh, and throughout the show i think of the idea like this face paint makes lex luger sad mm. and <laughs> and just every time you see him and then later on there's more indications of that that seems like a true statement but uh up to this point, I really like the way that they're kind of piecing together everything now because they're showing some of the the earlier events with uh, Hall and Hall and Ash, especially since they show Hall's confrontation with Sting. Yes, because now they're like, okay, it wasn't that he was just a person picked; he has legitimate beef still with Scott Hall. Macho Man says that just like Charlotte is Flair country, WCW is their country. Uh, and by the way, the main event for this evening is never actually mentioned on television, but Macho Man will be facing Ric Flair in a dark match after the show, which mm-hmm. will kind of help explain some of the crowd reactions we see tonight, yeah. as they're aware of that fact. That's been advertised as the main event. Oh, gotcha, okay. Macho mutters about Flair and Mongo, uh, so his eye is way off the prize, apparently, because they're here to talk about Bash at the Beach. Mm-hmm. 
Macho says that their strategy at Bash the Beach uh, is to divide and conquer, and then he leaves. <laughs> he, he, he has a match to prepare for later against VK Wall Street. So that leaves Gene alone with the tag team champions. Gene gives us some solid continuity, as Dave alluded to, uh, as he reminds Sting that it was Sting who was the first WCW wrestler to confront either Nash or Hall during uh, Hall's second appearance on the June 3rd Nitro. He wants to show footage, which does indeed roll, but an amped-up Sting cuts his promo over the footage, which I don't think was the plan since the footage has audio, <laughs> so you just hear two things at the same time. <laughs> you hear two Stings. <laughs> Sting says he doesn't mind someone who wants to walk into WCW and make a statement, but he won't let a grown man make a statement, let alone a physical one, to a commentator. Of course... Eric Bischoff is a grown man. <laughs> I, that's kind of insulting. And it's extra funny that Sting specifies especially a physical statement. Because that means he doesn't even think that Eric Bischoff is man enough to handle like a, a verbal statement <laughs> right. given to him by Scott Hall. Or, or f- philosophical statement. Sting is tired of hearing every week that Hall and Nash want three guys, especially given that they only produce two men themselves. Gene doesn't have a question for Lex, so he just prompts him to speaking uh, by saying his name out loud. He just goes, Lex Luger, and Lex just starts talking. That really amused me for some reason. Lex says that they are unified as a team. WWWCW stands tall, declares a man who holds two belts for a promotion whose name he can't get right. Hall and Nash are going to find out what this war is all about because WCW is unified as a unit. He then looks for a life raft to save him from having to speak more by asking, isn't that right, Stinger? (laughs) Sting starts to kind of go over what he's already said, but he's interrupted by hulking sentient mullet Scott Steiner. (laughs) Scott and his brother Rick apparently came into the locker room to offer to watch their back on July 7th, but also to warn them to focus on the Steiners for their match later on tonight. Now, why you would want them to focus on you and your match tonight is beyond me. Let them be fucking distracted. (laughs) You want their championships. (laughs) Gene asks Rick for his thoughts, but Rick only spits out, I could care less about the before Booker T and Stevie Ray wander in. Blocking issues abound as half the men are standing with their backs to the camera. Gene tries to get Booker to turn to face the camera as Book yells that they've still got an issue to settle uh, with Sting and Luger from Las Vegas. He yells something about silver dollars and how Gene watched it happen. All six <laughs> men scream at each other as Gene mentions that they will be having a triangle match for the titles tonight before yelling at them all to knock it off. <laughs> I, I also just like that Booker T just like came in calling everyone a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what the hell was Booker talking about? Well, he was referring all the way back to the January 22nd Nitro where Jimmy Hart handed Lex Luger a roll of silver dollars which Lex used to knock out Booker T, which is how Lex and Sting won Harlem Heat's Tag Team Championships. Now, why Booker is still mad about that specific incident uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense, as the two teams have had two rematches since then, one on Super Brawl in February, and then again on the April 29th Nitro. So he's acting like this is an unresolved issue, but no, it's it's been resolved. Maybe Booker T just holds grudges. You know what? Fair enough. <laughs> it just seems weird because ever since they've decided to knock off Luger the tweener and go all in with Luger the babyface, mm-hmm. there's like one or two times where someone will bring up old tweener storylines and it just kind of it doesn't jibe with what the storyline is now, you know? Yeah. And you, and you also get I get a little bit like concerned because I, I, I'm like, oh, man, they're not going to make them 
question each other again. Right. Because you, you feel like any week they'll just start that up again because that was their favorite thing to do for like the last six months. After that promo, we go back to the arena where the Blue Bloods, this uh, week represented by William Regal and by Stephen Regal, excuse me. Uh, and Lord Stephen Regal. Lord Stephen Regal. <laughs> And uh, Squire David Taylor. There you go. <laughs> make their entrance, accompanied by Jeeves and Bobby Eaton, who's bedecked in a very nice suit. Tony says that we are in the home of the Carolina Panthers, and Panther Kevin Green is in the arena tonight, Mongo hunting. <laughs> now, there's some weird problem here, as when Public Enemy's music starts to play, Larry suddenly becomes inaudible, pretty much mid-sentence, and we can't hear anything the announcers are saying. Uh, and during Public Enemy's entire in- like walk to the ring it's clear that there's some kind of audio issue. I, I, I don't know if it's with the original broadcast or the network, possibly because they're uh, overdubbing the music for Public Enemy. Oh, sure. So I, I don't really know what, what uh, is the case, but you can kind of hear some of the crowd audio. As when Johnny Grunge comes, uh, he walks up to the camera, shows off that he's still wearing the cast on his right arm for his legit broken hand to show that the cast now has nitro written on it. Mm-hmm. Lighty dighty, we likes to party, exclaims Johnny Grunge. <laughs> Nitro goes to a split screen, and we see Public Enemy cutting a tape pro- promo in the locker room, but the auto problems continue as you can't hear a word they're saying, so they're mm-hmm. yelling this program, uh, this promo, and you can't hear anything until all of a sudden the audio does come in right as they go, bikinis, <laughs> which is the funniest possible <laughs> word to just suddenly come into a promo on for wrestling. What on earth? I mean, I know it's got to be Bash at the Beach related, right? but just bikinis it, it couldn't have been less threatening. <laughs> In the rest of the promo that we do see, they shout a bunch of nearly incomprehensible nonsense, but what I get out of it is that they'll be facing the Nasty Boys in a dog-collar tornado tag match at Bash at the Beach. You might remember that these two teams have kind of been feuding as they fought two weeks ago uh, on Nitro on June 10th, where Public Enemy won by disqualification after a really bad match. (laughs) I can't wait to see them all in the ring at once, tied to each other by dog collars. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Especially dog collars that, if they're the ones that the public enemy brings out, have insanely long chains, too. Yeah, they brought them out uh, tonight to just kind of show them off and bang them around before the match. Mm -hmm. Uh, And suddenly we can hear Tony and Larry again, and they are ready to call all the action for this one. And here to call all the action for our show is our own Dave Amantorp. Okay. Well, Larry made sure to uh, let you know uh, when he was talking about the triangle match when they were coming down to the ring that there was a Surgeon General's warning that facing any of these teams would be hazardous to your health. This must uh, I I bet this is around the time when you had to add that Surgeon General's warning to, like, cigarette packs. Oh, sure. Because that, that wasn't mandatory. It was, like, within our lifetime that that became a mandatory thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I also like the fact that Public Enemy got fireworks and that uh, Johnny Grunge, since it says Nitro on his wrist, my first thought is, so is he, are they faces now? Yeah, their alignment is very muddled. That's kind of the top note I made because when they faced the Nasties on that June 10th Nitro, they were definite heels. Mm-hmm. And they were for at least a couple appearances before that. Even though that turn, they never turned heel, they just were faces and then all of a sudden they were heels. And now all of a sudden they're faces again. And Tony even mentions that at some point in the match, saying that like crowds have been unsure of how to react to that or so he makes some kind of comment about the different crowd reactions yeah. pub- without really mentioning that it's because they are clearly either 
courting the audience or yelling at that like <laughs> right. it's, it, he acts like public enemy is just the same team and the crowd is the one who's doing it mm-hmm. that, that is not the case <laughs> right and also just my first assumption is that that they don't give public enemy like notes as far as like how you're supposed to be reacting to crowds on any given night so i think they kind of go based on like the the like if the crowd's into them they're gonna play off of that that's just like their natural thing to do so well and uh you know with regal and taylor any american team is is going to be the baby faces right or really any one pretty it's much a, yeah remember playing like the the thq wrestling games and when you, what you did is when you spun the analog stick and not counterclockwise it stole the other person's taunt yes so basically rock a rock and regal do that to start off the match <laughs> yes <laughs> including regal waving his hands up in the air like he simply does not care yeah while he also shakes, he sh- he adds like a butt shake <laughs> right. that public enemy does not do when they do it <laughs> right it's it's unfortunately the camera doesn't get all of it it cuts after like just a second right. uh, i know um fan of the show drucifer uh at drucifer on twitter mm-hmm. loves making these gifts especially of regal's shit <laughs> and i wish they got a longer take of that so we could maybe he can just take like a one second thing and just loop it because i would watch <laughs> that for hours right so rock and rock and we, and lord stephen regal Exchange some wrist locks, and eventually Regal gives Rock a hip toss before breaking out some more of his dance moves. This distracts Regal enough for Rock Rock to get a drop kick. I mean, he was dancing, and he literally turned his back to his opponent. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I saw, <laughs> I saw a link uh, that said. Dwayne the Rock Johnson is having trouble accepting that Baywatch is a bad movie, and I <laughs> I clicked on it, and apparently there was an auto playing ad. <laughs> how could I not click? That? <laughs> In right. fairness to me, how could I not right. click that? No, that's acceptable. Um, so Rock Rock gets in a drop kick when Regal is distracted by his own dance moves. Regal escapes to the outside where he reaches up and tags Squire David Taylor in. And I was wondering if that's legal or not, if you can tag someone in when you're on the outside. I, that's a great question. Because the fact that a WCW referee allows it does not necessarily mean it's legal. I mean, we've seen them allow tags that they haven't seen and tags mm. that didn't happen <laughs> in right. various times. So why not, I say? Why, why not? Uh, Rocco Rock again mocks Regal when he does like the little peace sign with the hand behind his back. Oh, hey, yeah, I wanted to correct myself on that. Uh, you brought it up one time uh, with with Dave Taylor does the the V, mm-hmm. and uh, you said that you thought it was funny he was making a peace sign, and uh, I had said in England that's like the equivalent of a middle finger. That's oh. apparently that's only if the back of the fingers are facing the viewer. Oh, so the way he's doing it is V for victory. Okay. If he flipped his hand around, it would mean fuck you. Oh, so you could do a really quick heel turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So anyway, uh, that's just something from the corrections and omissions department from like 30 (laughs) episodes ago. (laughs) So again, a wrestler is being distracted by his own like mocking of the opponent and Squire David Taylor drills rock with some European uppercuts. But Irish whip into the turnbuckle is countered by Moonsault off the top rope, which is missed. Undeterred Rock rushes Taylor, who counters with a schoolboy that was way too close to the corner, and he still tries to roll it over, and then they just kind of like hold and wait for the referee to break them up. I was literally in the middle of writing a note that said, Dave Taylor and Rocco Rock are really underrated workers. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then that happened, and oh. I was like, or maybe not. Or I don't maybe. know. <laughs> like, it's clear that Rocco Rock is the worker of Public Enemy, mm-hmm. and uh, Sullivan talks in his podcast a little bit about how he kind of, like, kept Johnny Grunge from just, like, killing himself with drinking and drugs and stuff. Oh. Like, Rocco was, like, the guy who was like, no, we got to work. Like, this is important. And uh, Dave Taylor, I think, is a real talent, too. But they, boy, they fucked up that spot. It yeah. looked terrible. Yeah. And they just, neither of them had any sort of, like, improvise or anything like that. So they just kind of waited for a rope break, basically. Yeah. Um, Taylor g- tries to gain the advantage once they're back on their feet, only to be drop kicked over the top rope. The Blue Bloods then um, hug while they're both on their knees on the floor, which is followed by this expression on Regal's face that kind of reminded me of, like, the ambiguously gay duo when they're like, what's everyone looking at? Yeah, yes, yeah. (laughs) Because he hugs him immediately. He's like, are you going to question this? (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, Public Enemy, of course, is waving their hands in the air like they do not seem to care. Regal is now in the ring, and the two exchange standing full Nelsons before Rock tries and misses, essentially, a lion salt. So then, of course, Regal dances some more before laying the boots to Rock or Rock. There's just an insane amount of dancing and posturing in this match. Absolutely. Which, when you looked at the match on paper, you would not have expected that. (laughs) Uh, While Taylor enters the ring, Larry Zabisco admonishes Regal's desire to mock his opponents saying he'd be virtually unstoppable if he stopped letting that distract him, which I thought was a really good comment from Larry Zbysko. And you see that in, like, all of his matches. And it's it's I always thought it was really strange since he's Lord Stephen Regal. He's supposed to be, like, this dignified Englishman. But all he does is these mocking gestures and dances, like, in all of his matches. Sure. But I thought that was a really good point as far as, like, trying to hype up, like, Lord Stephen Regal and his potential. Uh, Regal comes to the ring as Tony informs the television audience that those two guys that you know about have arrived to the arena and are going to be stopped by security. Regal and Rock, meanwhile, hit each other with a double clothesline and we get to we get to gut check time. Regal tags in Taylor and Rock tags in Johnny Grunge, who gets his first action of the match. Grunge wails away on both men, but a cover on Regal... But a cover on Taylor is broken up, and before too long, the match breaks down. All four men are in the ring. All right, so Grunge goes for a punch with his with his uh, cast-laden yep. hand, but Nick Patrick stops him due to the cast on his wrist. And if that wasn't legal, why was he cleared to wrestle in the first place? <laughs> so, so from ringside, Earl Robert Eaton trips Grunge, who... Uh, Acts as though he smacks his head on his cast. Yeah, he's like out cold. But he hits it, so he stands up and kind of does like this, like wavering around sort of thing. He does like a flare flop. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Lord Steven Regal then follows Rock or Rock to the outside while Squire David Taylor taunts. Yeah, he was doing the, the peace sign again, mm-hmm. which was the peace sign, not the fuck you sign. <laughs> He I, turned, I think it's I think it's more V for victory than peace. Okay. Yeah. All right. So he's doing the the V for victory. And so Lord Steven Regal, Rock a Rock on the outside, which of course is distracting Nick Patrick. That gives Johnny Grunge a time to uh hit Squire David Taylor with his loaded wrist cast. And it's D- Dave Taylor is like waiting to do like the timber falling over, mm-hmm. but he takes too long. Eventually Johnny Grunge just kinda of pushes him down. Well, and let's go back a little bit further than that. 
he Taylor is doing his posing and he's meant to turn in like right into the punch that he never sees coming. Mm-hmm. But Johnny Grunge is so fucking shitty and slow that Dave Taylor turns around, sees Johnny Grunge, looks at him for a while, kind of like <laughs> checks his watch, opens up the USA Today, gets a cup of coffee, and then Johnny Grunge punches him. And he would have he had so much time to react and block or dodge or anything, but he can't because that's not the finish. Right. So Dave Taylor looks like a fucking idiot because Johnny Grunge doesn't know how to goddamn wrestle. <laughs> So I guess this also shows that if there's one weakness for Dave Taylor is he does not know how to improvise. Yeah, sure. But then again, if it's someone like Johnny Grunge that wouldn't know how to react to improvising, maybe he did the best he could. And it's especially tough with a finish, I think, too. You know? Yeah. Um. So, you know, he had some with the loaded punch. At that point, the referee turns around. We get the pinfall and we get a pretty good crowd reaction from that victory, too. Um. And like I was saying before, Pretty much this whole match, the public enemy were playing up to the crowd. They were encouraging the USA chant. And when the when the match is over, like Grunge goes out to the ringside and does like the waving hands and get the crowd to do that. So as far as I'm concerned, they're like 100% faces based on this match. Yes, absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see what they are next week. <laughs> uh, we go to commercials. We get a pre-tape promo from Harlem Heat uh, saying they want their gold back later tonight. When we come back, we get the Dungeon of Doom music, and Tony welcomes us to the number one most watched wrestling program week in and week out. And uh, it has been a little bit back and forth, but something we we probably could have noted, uh, depends on if you want to like ever spoil anything ahead or just only look at things behind, mm-hmm. but last week was actually week one of the 84 win streak. Yeah, I thought it was, I was like summer 96, it was somewhere around here, I just... So it's a little early to say it's the number one program week in and week out. But uh, <laughs> if you just give it 83 weeks, <laughs> you'd be pretty damn accurate. But, I mean, Bischoff was saying that like week two pretty much. <laughs> that's so. true. That's true. Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan walks briskly to the ring as Larry tells us that this guy is so demented, he watches old Yeller and laughs at the ending. <laughs> wow. Wow. Waiting I, for something. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I, no, I would just say because you're going to announce his opponent. What the fuck is this guy's name? Because oh, I heard yeah, like yeah. I heard like three different versions of what this guy's name possibly is. Uh, so waiting for Kevin Sullivan in the ring is Kip Ab, <laughs> who has received the jobber entrance because Kip Ab is a jobber. <laughs> he he's like the jobberiest jobber we've used. Like there's not even. It's not like Pat Tanaka, who has like a hell of a bio, yeah. and now he's a jobber. Yeah. Uh, this is basically all I could find on Kip Ab. He was a jobber used on a very infrequent basis throughout the years by WCW, uh, who has appeared to start his career in the early 90s as the first records of matches I can find of his come in 1991 in the Catch Wrestling Association, which is Otto Vance's promotion in Germany that we've mentioned on the show a few times. Oh, sure. He's made uh, a few sporadic losing appearances for WCW in the early 90s, and this is his first appearance for the company in 1996, and as far as I can tell, his final appearance in a WCW ring, and uh, just because it's very recent, uh, I I felt compelled to mention that while I was Googling him, I also found out that he passed away uh, at the age of 50 just uh, in April of this year. Mm-hmm. So we are we are just like weeks away removed from the death of, of poor Kip Ab. And is that what he is typically called, or is it? Because there seems to be confusion 
with everyone as far as how this name is pronounced, what it is. You know, the, <laughs> the WWE Network is sadly lacking in Catch Wrestling Association <laughs> episodes, so who the <laughs> fuck knows? That's like that's like the one promotion they don't have <laughs> video for. I, I honestly have no idea. He, <laughs> it seems like he probably spent most of his career wrestling in Germany, as near as I can tell. And just very rarely he would come in to WCW and lose. And it's like, I don't even know... I don't even know why. It would be like just in 1993, they used this guy like six times to lose. Mm-hmm. He, uh, just have an in-house guy that you pay to lose, like a Barry Horowitz or, you know, a whatever. It's just, or or just bring in a local town that you can like yeah, lo- severely underpay them for it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. But uh, and I, I listened. I figured I was like, OK, this is the kind of thing that Sullivan's podcast will actually be good for. You know, he'll be like, oh, yeah, this guy, he started here and was trained by. No, he's just like, yeah, yeah, we brought in an enhancement guy sometime. And this guy drew me that night. That's about like <laughs> that's all he fucking says about this guy. <laughs> Taskmaster takes it right to A.B. with a kick to the gut as Nick Patrick rings the bell. Sullivan throws A.B. to the outside. He sends him over the guardrail, which leads him into the crowd as Tony informs us that the giant and Sullivan will be taking on Arn and Benoit at Bash at the Beach. And if Arn and Benoit win, a horseman will get a title shot against the Giant uh, on Nitro following the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Larry and Tony assume that the horseman that they will choose is, of course, Ric Flair. Yeah, and I, I think that's a fair assumption, yeah, too. Yeah, of course. The, ho- the, the existence of the horseman is to prop up <laughs> Flair as champion. Right. Sullivan throws A.B. through a flimsy partition that leads to the arena steps. They head up to the concourse as Tony reminds us that the last time this happened, they went in the bathroom. (laughs) God, it was so cool when it actually happened. Mm. And ever since then, they've made it sound like the stupidest, dorkiest fucking thing. They've ruined a really cool moment. And and not only that, I feel like the fact that Kevin Sullivan taking some jobber out there is just ruining the effect of the Great American Bash match. Well, uh, so I, I had this later in my notes, but I'll just kind of skip ahead to this. This is a continuation of sorts, as Sullivan had done the exact same thing two nights ago on the June 22nd episode of Saturday Night, <laughs> where he uh, immediately led his opponent, Pat Tanaka, <laughs> out of the ring during their match and all the way outside of whatever soundstage they were shooting Saturday Night on at the time, and then he just beat him up in the parking lot for a little bit. <laughs> so... It's not only are they kind of diminishing it, it's the second time they've done it in two days now. <laughs> wow. Also, I just need to say, because I just was staring at it a lot, but uh, Kip A.B. has a really large birthmark on his back. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> he does. It's, it's distracting. <laughs> Sullivan, shoves, Sullivan shoves some food or like maybe a container for relish or something into A.B.'s face. It's not like he covers it in ketchup, but he he grabs something off a concession thing and hits him in the face. I couldn't really tell what it was. Mm -hmm. He then leads A.B. uh, over to the door of the ladies' room, where Doug Dillinger tries to prevent them from entering. Now, Kevin Sullivan may be a demon-worshipping, insane, sick individual, but he's certainly not going to cross the head of WCW security. So (laughs) instead, he drags A.B. across a noticeably wet floor, which is (laughs) disgusting. I don't know if it was raining or what, but the floor just looks soaking wet. Uh, Over to a subway kiosk, where he tosses A.B. headfirst into the sneeze guard. Referees manage to convince Sullivan to head back into the arena. He heads to the ring to meet Mean Gene as Tony says they'll have to scrape up Kip A.B. somewhere near the condiment counter, which (laughs) actually I chuckled pretty hard (laughs) at. Also, by the way, 
the guys behind the counter at Subway completely no sold this whole thing. Sh- they didn't even find it funny. Right. They, they didn't care at all. Because when they went over there, like first thing I'm like, how these guys would react? They didn't care. Not in the slightest. It's it's like this is the third fight in front of the subway <laughs> between men in briefs. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Tony says the official result of the match is a disqualification, meaning that Kip A.B. will leave WCW as a winner. <laughs> Happy trails, Kip A.B. This is this is not going to be the last time that Tony basically has to announce how a match ends, too. I don't know if I get, we've got an official word about this or not. Well, I believe so. I believe Sullivan has been disqualified. With that, we go to the ring in Mean Gene. All right, Tony Schiavone, I thank you very much. It seems that your man, the Taskmaster, has got a fixation with twin holers, with, with restrooms. You know, Mean Gene, the Taskmaster in the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart came to the home of the Four Horsemen, Charlotte, North Carolina. We walked in, and we're walking out alive. All right, I should point out, coming up at the bash at the beach, you are going to be in the corner of the Taskmaster and the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Giant, when they meet Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. It will be no picnic for you, sir. Listen, Benoit, I want you to listen real close. You see, I'm here in the horseman's town. You see what I just did? You're coming to Daytona Beach, where I live and dwell. Benoit, Anderson, I know this is a ploy because the whole thing is. Can, can I point something out for the record? Do you know that if the horsemen beat you or the giant the following night on Nitro, the giant is going to have to put up the title? Yeah, everybody here knows what they want. They want Flair to wrestle my partner, the giant. It isn't going to happen. It's not going to be very pretty. You're a very Gene, if I hear Ric Flair say, woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? And I'm going to Space Mountain one more time. I'm going to choke myself to death. Stay tuned when we return for more WCW Monday Nitro live from Charlotte. Gene starts off by asking Jimmy Hart if Kevin Sullivan is fixated on, uh, I think he says twin holers, and then clarifies and says that he means restrooms. I've oh, never heard the term twin holer. I tried Googling a few different <laughs> variations. I couldn't find anything. I don't know if this is uh, like just like uh, Okerlund family slang <laughs> that he thinks everyone else uses. I, d- I don't know. <laughs> He's like, oh, right. No one else says that. <laughs> All right, Grandma, go into the twin holer for a minute. <laughs> Hart yells at the Taskmaster, came to the home of the horseman, Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, Gene, for some reason, when Hart says North Carolina, Gene joins him in just shouting the name of the state. <laughs> right. He's like, I, he wants to get in on that action. <laughs> He's like, no, I know where we are. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> Sullivan cuts a promo on Chris Benoit. He points out that he just destroyed a guy in Horseman territory, and soon Benoit will be where he lives in Daytona Beach. So I guess that he, at some point, moved from the Iron Gates of Fate to Daytona Beach. <laughs> Daytona Beach is such a non-satanic place to to be living. (laughs) It's so silly. So he moved like a week or so ago, right? (laughs) I I guess so. (laughs) Sullivan says that he knows this is a ploy because the whole thing is. Okay. (laughs) 
The crowd chants for Flair, and Gene asks if Sullivan knows the stipulation for the match. Yeah, of course he does, (laughs) dum-dum. Sullivan responds to the chants and says the crowd clearly wants to see Flair wrestle the giant, which is kind of a clever way to spin things, because what they want is Flair right now out in the ring. Right. But he does a good job of being like, yeah, they're into this stipulation. They want to see Flair in a championship match. (laughs) Right. I thought that was very good, quick on his feet thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. He declares that that's not going to happen before Jimmy Hart says if he has to hear Flair sing Woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? Or talk about (laughs) Space Mountain one more time, he's going to choke himself to death. (laughs) And I love Ric Flair and his promos, but that was pretty fucking funny because (laughs) he's really hammering those cliches a lot lately. And I like that someone called him out (laughs) on it. It's I always I felt like the the woman, a woman was like his like mnemonic device to remember what her name is. (laughs) We go to commercial and a graphic tells us that next we're going to get the man of a thousand holds. <laughs> they put an exclamation point, uh, which Dean Malenko does not normally. I love Dean Malenko, but just his whole personality like rejects exclamation points. Yeah, he's like, can you please relax? <laughs> uh, but that's not all that we got during the commercial break. Oh, what else did we get? You know, the blood runs so, so oh, cold. Oh, yeah, blood runs cold. <laughs> And I it was it wasn't a new one, um, but the, it was it was the same. One it we was saw still last the week. one that that feels like the Mortal Kombat movie. Oh yeah, and the, what what do they keep saying? Like, in every person lies the heart of a warrior. Or something inside like? all of us burns the fury of a warrior. Something I believe. like that. So it makes him sound not unique. <laughs> yeah, we all have the fury of a warrior. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> could be a glacier. <laughs> anyway, glaciers coming next month. As we come back from commercial, out comes hard work Bobby Walker. I, I screwed up because I realized in my notes I said hard walk Bobby Walker. <laughs> uh, he His music is kind of a ripoff of Eye of the Tiger, I noticed. Shivani hypes the triangle tag match later, which uh, is still going to follow the triangle rules of this era where only two men can be in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget who it was. It was like Sting, Luger, and Flair, I think, were in a triangle match back at Starcade. Oh, that yeah. That was the only other one we've seen. Uh, Tony says that this means that the champions could lose the title without ever getting in the ring, which fails to hype the match so much as it points out why that's a stupid stipulation. Right. (laughs) Dean Malenko makes his entrance as Tony says that tonight we're also going to get DDP versus Alex Wright for the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring. (laughs) And Arn and Benoit will face the Rock and Roll Express. He also says that those two gentlemen have arrived at the arena. He and Larry reference the extra security around the broadcast booth. The cruiserweight title is on the line, and here to call all of the action is our own Dave Amantor. All right. Um, well, when looking at different uh, reviews of this episode, I went to my preferred real-time review of WCW DDT Digest, which referred to hard work by Bobby Walker as WCW's version of Virgil. And I was like, yeah. boy, don't they wish it would have stopped there. <laughs> kind of racist, but correct. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like, oh, good news. I bet you you're going to get Virgil. <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, I think he's better than Virgil. Yeah, there's not many people that are worse than Virgil. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and then Tony also says that a coin toss will determine the two teams to start the triangle tag match. Oh, that's right. In yeah. which I immediately thought about the whole idea in which an NFL team could lose overtime if they just lost the coin flip and never got the ball on offense. And it's like, how does that make for an appealing match yeah. if the tag champs don't even get in the ring, don't do anything? Now imagine if the Super Bowl could be decided by a coin flip 
and one of the teams never gets on the field. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> like, not just their offense, like, literally two other teams play, and then it's like, oh, nope, Patriots lost. They, they're just sitting on the sidelines. <laughs> right. They're like, what happened? <laughs> Uh, now, now comes in Dean Malenko. He's here, and his wrists are ready for action. And apparently, this is for the cruiserweight title. I didn't hear anything that indicates for the cruiserweight title, but Randy Anderson did do the holding the belt up to the camera. Yeah, I believe which, that it was. Yeah. yeah, that that's when I was like, okay, I'm guessing it's for the championship, but no one else indicated that. Which I thought was it was difficult for me to really believe that because Howard Bobby Walker is a lot bigger. Than Dean Blinko. So I didn't know if he qualifies for cruiserweight action or not. Or And I don't know how, just because it's it's a fairly new belt, we have not seen how strictly that will or will or won't be enforced by WCW. Right. Um, at this point, I do make the mistake of complimenting Larry Zabisco some more on his commentary, which I know I'll regret later on. Um, several times he mentioned Sting Luger being distracted for the triangle tag match, which yep. is a, a fair, uh, sure. and then he said, and then he also suggested that the third man for all they know is there tonight. Yes. Which I thought was a good, like extra little incentive to keep watching. I agree. I agree. Um, we begin with lots of bouncing off the ropes. As we learn, Dean Malenko will defend his cruiserweight title against the disco inferno at bash of the beach. So when they said that, I happened to I, I wanted to look into what uh, what Disco has done to earn that title shot. And would you believe that he has entered the company? He has a record of two and fifteen. <laughs> Those two must be quality wins. And I I don't remember what they were. I think they were like tag matches on Saturday night. Mm. They are certainly not recent. <laughs> uh, so what he has done to earn a uh, shot for this title is nothing right and i really don't like what it says about what they're how they're going to be treating the cruiserweight championship yeah that's that's not a good sign uh and if you're wondering by the way what uh ray mysterio jr the other most recent uh competitor is going to be doing it was announced on the june 22nd saturday night that he is going to be facing psychosis at the pay-per-view so Hmm. it's now guaranteed pretty much that the cruiserweight championship match will not be the best cruiserweight match <laughs> on that show. Oh, what, what? Not, and I love Disco. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but his his role should not be in cruiserweight title matches <laughs> on pay per view. <laughs> that's not what he's for. I mean, he really should not be in anything that's considered a competitive match. Really, yeah, he should be in like second or third match comedy matches on the card. Right. You know, that come after like a real hot opener to just give the crowd a little variety. <laughs> I think they had to find something for him to do because, as we'll learn later, that Joe Gomez is going to be preoccupied that night. <laughs> um. As Dean Malenko takes a, a powder to the outside, I noticed for, I don't know if it's the first time, that he has a surgical star, scar on his neck. Um, I went online to, and it suggested that he suffered a serious neck injury in a car crash back in 1977. Interesting. Which ended his amateur wrestling career. From there, he started, do, um, he spent a few years as a referee for um, professional wrestling before uh, making his in-ring debut in 1979. So I wonder... If his refereeing was until he like was healthy enough to wrestle, but I I just I'm like I've seen so many Dean Malenko matches I don't I don't know if I ever noticed that before they had that yeah scar. that is interesting but that was only from one source so if anyone else knows otherwise as far as why he has that surgical scar I will 
be more than willing to correct myself because I did a very little research on it. <laughs> Back in the ring, Malenko takes the offensive, getting two quick two counts before applying a headlock. After holding Walker down with some former crucifix, which kind of reminded me of the whole Elgato having to use a crucifix as a submission move, um, Dean rolls him over and then applies a camel clutch, which is a lot more legitimate submission move. Dean then has an impressive show of strength as he power bombs um, Walker, which he then converts into the Texas Cloverleaf. However, he releases a hold when Disco Inferno shows up at ringside Uh-oh. with a gold record in his hands. I wonder if we'll learn more about that later. As Disco, uh, <laughs> as Disco grabs the microphone and starts blathering about selling a million records. Walker. Which, by the way, would make it a platinum record, not a gold record. <laughs> Just want to get that out there. And another thing I want to get in while, while I've got the chance. Yeah. Uh, Larry also says that he sold a million records, <laughs> which kind of defeats the, the the idea, obviously, is supposed to be Disco is delusional. Right. But Larry is like, yeah, he... And I guess Larry's a heel, but it just doesn't feel like with his character to lie with a complete fantasy like that. Right. So it just feels really str- Like, are we supposed to truly believe <laughs> right. that he has a gold record? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, I, it's very, very <laughs> weird. Um, and correction, when he's blathering about the million records, he's saying that to the, uh, the camera. He has not picked up the mic yet. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, while Walker hits a drop kick. Then Disco Inferno gets a mic and he demands his music plays, which is immediately done for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, they're like fine, no problem. <laughs> it's that or hard work, Bobby Walker. So <laughs> we we always play just music in the middle of matches if anyone asks us to, because the show has no director. It's just, it's insane. Right. Uh, Walker rolls up Dean for a for a cover, but releases the cover when Disco actually gets into the ring gets onto the turnbuckle and starts dancing, to which the referee gives zero fucks about. Yeah, no, nope, he has no problems with this at all. <laughs> there is kind of a funny moment when uh, Walker is going off the ropes and he wants to jump off the turnbuckles, but then he stops and makes this like, grand gesture of like, this guy's in the way, what am I supposed to do? The last f- minute of this match are hilarious because... Bobby Walker is the only one who seems to act like he even notices Disco. Like, (laughs) the ref doesn't give a fuck, and Malenko is just an emotionless automaton who wants to win matches. (laughs) So he just acts like he doesn't even care just at all. He just keeps working on Bobby Walker, and Bobby Walker just keeps looking around like, is no one seeing this? (laughs) Maybe maybe eventually Walker's like, am I imagining this guy? (laughs) Am I the only one who can see the Disco Inferno? Though I, I do think it's completely within Dean Malenko's character to be like, I have a match right now. Right. I can't worry yeah, about it's, this. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. <laughs> so eventually, Dean Malenko takes advantage and drop kicks Walker into the Disco Inferno, who falls down to the ringside before Dean hits a Northern Light suplex into a bridge for a pinfall. Yeah, so so first to get him out of the corner, like Dean gives Bobby Walker, Bobby Walker a monkey flip. And Walker lands on his feet. Mm-hmm. And rather than turning to fight the guy who is fighting him right now, yeah. he looks at Disco and again is like, what is he doing? <laughs> right. And that's why Dean Malenko is able to drop kick him. It's like he doesn't care that a guy is beating him up right now right. because there's a third guy in front of him who's just dancing and not hurting anyone. <laughs> like, why is that more important to you than a guy who's 
doing offense on you. It's <laughs> mind-boggling. <laughs> well, it's just like hard work Bobby Walker has learned to like, if it's a one-on-one match, there shouldn't be a third wrestler in there. <laughs> so it's really distracting all this training that he's done. Disco's presence like breaks him. <laughs> right. And we've got a very angry Cruiserweight champion right here. With that in mind, we go to Mean Gene. All right, a little uh, tough to sort it all out. Dean Malenko, come on in, cruiserweight champ. Coming up, your title defense at the Bash at the Beach on July the 7th. And uh, apparently a very rude interruption on the part of this man, the Disco Inferno. You know, one thing, Gene, I'm not going to stand for it. I take this cruiserweight belt. Don't you ever or even think so. Oh, hey, Mr. Personality, this whole show is about television ratings. Now, everybody knows the Disco Inferno's on a Shake Your Booty Tour. My new Shake Your Booty Tour CD just went gold, and everybody wants to see me dance. Now, hey, let's face it. You and Bobby Walker just were not having a good night, and let's face facts, you were stinking up the joint. Hey, that I'm going to take exception to that, Gene Malenko. Hey, come here. Give me this. Give me this. Hey. What, what's your story, pal? Hey. I just figured that it was a perfect time for me to come down and do a little dance, make a little love, and get down tonight. Now, if you're upset with that, excuse me. Hey, hey, Malenko, you may be the man of a thousand holds, but I just sold a million CDs. (laughs) I think this guy's got a a little trouble. uh, He's introverted, I'd have to say. Disco Inferno. You're right, I am the man of a thousand holds. But at the Bash of the Beach, it's just going to take one to take you out. Thank you very much, Cruiserweight Champ Dean Malenko, and stay tuned when we come back. More action here on Monday Nitro. Mean Gene joins Dean Malenko in the ring. He asks for Dean's thoughts, and the Iceman starts off with an angry promo before he notices that Disco is behind him, looking like he's probably about to brain him with that gold record, Mm -hmm. which you know has got to be coming up on some show somewhere. Right. Don't you ever or even think so, says Malenko. (laughs) Disco calls Dean Mr. Personality and says that this show is all about ratings. And holy shit, it's like Disco Inferno is from three years in the future where everyone just talks about ratings and entertainment value instead of Mm -hmm. like winning matches and shit. Right. It's it's weird to hear someone this early talk like that. Uh, Whereas he has a gold record and is on his Shake Your Booty tour, (laughs) Dean and Bobby Walker were stinking up the joint. Malenko may be the man of a thousand holds, but Disco just sold a million CDs. <laughs> Dean replies that he's the man of a thousand holds, but at Bash at the Beach, it will just take one to finish Disco off. By the way, I really like hearing Dean Malenko say Disco Inferno in his really <laughs> gruff voice. Yeah. Also, there's this other this like trait that Dean Malenko has that I really like is like when he holds the belt. He holds it like uh like plate side towards him like oh, in sure. his hand so like the both sides are just kind of like swinging around. Yeah. Like he he could care less about holding the championship. He doesn't even know how to hold it. He just wants to he just wants to wrestle, man. <laughs> uh you know, I think a Disco Inferno Dean Malenko extended program on television would be great. Mhm. A Disco Inferno Dean Malenko two-week program leading to a title match on a pay-per-view is not the same. Th- that is not what I want to see. Right. I want to see like comedy in a few nitro segments. I don't want to see like a 20 minute. I mean, I doubt they'll get 20 minutes, but I don't want to see a 10 minute match, which <laughs> right. we, it's just not, not at all what either of those characters should be doing on a pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But also, I just I wanted to point out that this whole time, like Disco Inferno is just on point at all times with this character. Oh, sure, yes. And and you could see if like if you give him a feud, he can he can sell the feud. Right. He's totally selling the fact that he just randomly is going up against Dis, uh, Dean Malenko. He knows how to attack him. He knows how to m- try to embarrass him. It just he's a really he just has a really great talent for his character. We go to commercial with a pre-tape promo where footage of the Rock and Roll Express plays while we hear an Arn Anderson voiceover. Arn says that the Horsemen of the 90s are more vicious than the Horsemen of the 80s, and tonight, the music really does die. (laughs) Uh, During the commercials, we get a promo for Bash at the Beach in which a dork on a raft hallucinates two beautiful women in bikinis on a small island. Uh, They throw him into the water, and somehow this is meant to make me want to order a wrestling (laughs) pay-per-view. Right. I... This guy's hallucination, he's like dying on a raft in the ocean, and his hallucination is that beautiful women reject him and throw him into the water. Oh. Please buy our (laughs) pay-per-view. What the fuck? I was so confused by this. (laughs) And also, it's like the the voiceover work is really subpar. Yes, it's it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, everything in the water, he is a very 90s, like, whoa. Yeah, because also when he sees the girls, he's like, what? Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Back from commercial, we see that this weekend on Saturday night, Luger, Sting, and Macho will team up in the main event, and that Earl Robert Eaton will take on John Tenta, who we see wearing an eye patch. Uh, So I guess they are selling. I don't know if they're selling an injury from when he got whipped in the eye socket with a roll of silver or a (laughs) sock of silver dollars, Uh or if he's just has an eye injury from being whipped <laughs> in the eye socket with a sock full of silver dollars. That that was like, even though he like half his head is bandaged up yeah. now, that's like a believable injury because I remember hearing him get hit in the oh, face. God. Like we talked about it last week about we felt like he was getting punished for something because he was just wailing away on him with that. On the June 22nd Saturday night, it was announced that Tenta and Bubba will be facing off at the Bash of the Beach pay-per-view in a Carson City silver dollar match. Uh, In the little uh, control center where Gene explains that, he does not say what the fuck that means. He just says, money involved in this one. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. Barbarian makes his way to the ring to a surprising amount of cheers. Generic Rock plays and out comes Eddie Guerrero back from Japan in his best of the Super Juniors win. Tony says that Eddie has told him that he has as much as heart as anyone and is willing to take on Hall and Nash himself. Larry says to take a look at the Barbarian and remember that Darwinian man, though well-behaved, is merely a gorilla, well-shaved. Yeah. Tony asks where Larry comes up with this stuff, and Larry just says, it's not easy being a legend. And while that may be true, it is easy to steal lines from Lady Fair from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical Princess Ida. <laughs> uh, that's where that line comes from. Or I, I looked that up. I <laughs> I don't know the <laughs> the catalog of Gilbert and Sullivan that well. Or or since it's like the mid nineties, if you used Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He was on Encarta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eddie tries to go for a single leg takedown to start, but Barbarian is too strong and takes him into the corner where he wails on him a bit as Larry just shits on Eddie. Uh, I yeah. mentioned that I've got problems with Larry. It's 90% this match. By, by the way, like, I don't know why WCW is not emphasizing that he won, like, possibly the biggest, like, tournament for, like... Other than, like, the G1 tournament. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a huge tournament. 
Um, and they do mention that he had a, quote, successful tour of Japan, but that's about as far as they really mention it. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie counters a press slam into a sunset flip attempt, but Barb doesn't go down and tries to punch Eddie, who moves, so instead Barb punches the ring and sells his hand. Uh-huh. Eddie gets a drop kick, but Barbarian won't go down. Eddie comes off the rope, and Barbarian throws him up in the air, but Eddie manages to counter this into another drop kick, which sends Barbarian to the mat for a two count. Eddie goes for a crossbody, but Barbarian catches him and runs him into the corner as a lot of the crowd cheers. They're really into Barbarian and not that into Eddie, and I don't know why. I certainly wish that wasn't... It pains me to be the messenger sharing <laughs> that information, but that's just the way it is tonight. Yeah, because my reaction was like, Eddie grows back in like for the first time in months. And he was popular when he left. Yeah, and, and I was really genuinely surprised that there was not a good reaction for him. And... uh I think Barbarian's been pretty great on Nitro, personally, mm-hmm. uh, but usually crowds don't give a shit about him. Right. They, it's not that they boo him, it's they don't care. Mm-hmm. But tonight, they're like, fuck yeah, they're Barbarian! Oh my god, it's a Barbarian! <laughs> they're just like so excited. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to give us flair, we're going <laughs> to fuck up every one of these matches then. Uh, Larry, by the way, takes the opportunity uh after that crossbody attempt to shit on Eddie some more. I don't remember what he said. I just wrote down every time he shit on him. <laughs> Huge powerbomb for Barbarian for a two count. It looked fucking crazy because Eddie Guerrero knows how to take a goddamn uh, <laughs> powerbomb. Pump handle slam from Barbarian uh, gets a two count as Barb is being very lazy with his pins, as Larry points out. Mm-hmm. Oh, and all through my notes, I refer to him as Barb. So if I ever <laughs> forget to yeah. say the whole word, that's, that's why. And also this... This is the first time I've seen Barbarian in which he's, like, actually playing the heel role. Sure. Like, he, he's acting really cocky. He's, like, he's doing nonchalant covers because he thinks he has a beat. Right. But, uh... Yeah, they're doing a classic big man, little man match. Yeah. yeah. In which Barbarian's like, this should be easy. I'm just going to swat him away for a while. They get back on their feet, and Eddie is behind Barbarian, so he jumps up onto his shoulders, which is kind of awkward. He doesn't get his... He, like, jumps up like uh, you've got a little kid mm-hmm. on your shoulders with his legs dangling over, your, like, around you. And you have to, like, oh, I guess got to help him up now. Yeah, because one <laughs> of his legs doesn't quite get over Barbarian's shoulder. <laughs> then they try to spin Eddie around so he can get a hurricanrana, so he spins around so that, like, uh, his crotch would be in Barbarian's face, basically. Mm-hmm. But they totally fuck up the spin, and Eddie's legs get entangled with Barbarian's arms, and they just sort of fall over. <laughs> and I'm the crowd boos, and I'm not sure if it's because Eddie is making a comeback or if because they botched. Like I'm not really sure which the crowd is mad about. Yeah. B- by the way, the the description you just did there, that whole sequence takes even longer. <laughs> it is it is in slow motion. Eddie suplexes Barbarian and heads to the top rope to a mixed reaction. Barbarian crotches Eddie on the. Uh, that like metal connector between the turnbuckle and the ring post. Yeah. Barbarian gets a nice looking top rope belly to belly suplex and Eddie slides all the way to the outside as Larry shits on him some more. <laughs> Nick Patrick starts to count, but Eddie gets up on the apron where Barbarian meets him uh, and stays in control with punches. With Eddie and Barbarian on opposite sides of the ropes, they make their way over to the turnbuckles and climb them to set up for a superplex, but Eddie manages to counter it in midair and stay on top of Barbarian Landing with a crash to the mat for the one, two, three. Yeah, that was a very hazardous looking finish of the match, too. Yes, it's a miracle that it actually ended up okay. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't I didn't catch did we mention the fact that Barbarian did the, the top rope 
belly to belly suplex overhead oh, yeah. suplex. Yep. Yeah, because that was awesome. Yeah, it looked it looked amazing. <laughs> I just want to remind <laughs> people it's pretty cool. Barbarian immediately kicks out at like three point zero one. Yeah. And Larry uh fall like as soon as Eddie's won, Larry points out that Eddie almost slipped off the top rope earlier. Uh and that's like that's just legitimate. When they were setting up for the superplex counter finisher, mm-hmm. he almost fell down. And Larry's just pointing out, like, ah, oh, this guy's kind of sloppy. Like, shut up. <laughs> right. That's the kind of stuff announcers are supposed to cover up for. Right. <laughs> then he says that Barbarian fell off the top rope at the ending, so Eddie was just lucky. Mm-hmm. Tony tries to put over Eddie because, Jesus Christ, somebody has to tonight. <laughs> right. But Larry says that if Eddie made a bunch of uh, rookie mistakes early in the match, and that's the only reason he was even, like, fighting from underneath to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the whole match is designed to make Eddie Guerrero, the winner, look like a fucking chump. I, I just don't understand it at all. The yeah. only one who tries whatsoever is Tony Schiavone. Yeah. No, I mean... To me, the 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 role of like the heel announcer is to like not like the character, not to just rip on their ring work because that affects the way people when they're watching view them too. Yeah, and I think that the deal with Larry is that he want he's the the apex of trying to get yourself over. Yeah, Larry wants everyone to know that he's a legend and he's the smartest guy in the room. He's so smart. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and it's just at the the detriment of everyone else. Right. Gene joins Eddie in the ring and asks him about the end of his match way back at Uncensored on March 24th, where he fought Conan and lost after a worked dick injury. (laughs) Eddie says that you can see in the replay that he got hit where most, make that all men, don't like to get hit. (laughs) Eddie says he doesn't want to make excuses, but he feels like he deserves another shot at the U.S. title. The crowd boos vociferously, (laughs) and Eddie says he appreciates the support of the fans. (laughs) I think he was expecting support and didn't really know how to handle not receiving it. The music then plays to cut them off, but Gene asks question. uh, But Gene asks Eddie a question about the hostile takeover. Eddie starts answering the question until Gene cuts him off so they can go to commercial. Mm. Like you asked him the fucking question, dude. Like. It's just another thing that made Eddie look stupid that was not his fault. And also, so the thing is, like, he answers the question the way that Tony Schiavone explains before the match. And right. I and I felt like that that Tony kind of gave away his like whole that whole part of the, the the promo. And I was like, well, why is he even saying this? Because like Tony said that he already talked to him. Although it's like a weird thing where Tony says that he hasn't talked to him, but that Eddie said this. Right. Um, so it's just like this weird thing where it's like he's restating something that's already been stated. Yeah, and I mean, the point of the promo seemed to be to set up a U.S. title program between Conan and Eddie Guerrero, but I don't know when that's going to happen as on the June 22nd Saturday night where they announced like 75% of the Bash of the Beach card. Mm-hmm. They also said that Conan is going to be defending the U.S. title at Bash of the Beach against Ric Flair? Yeah. <laughs> that seems beneath Flair, and there's no like personal issues between those men or anything uh flair's already got this like thing where he might be getting a title shot based on how the horsemen perform at it's just mm-hmm. i i don't understand why rick flair is facing conan for the u.s title at the bash it makes no sense yeah. to me and uh, of course all this booking is like hindsight's 2020 but i did i feel like the obvious thing is that if eddie girl is coming back and he won the super juniors tournament why on earth aren't they having him go for the cruiserweight title? 
A, a good drinking game, I'm realizing, for this uh, episode would be drink every time I say that a match at the pay-per-view was just announced from the control center <laughs> on the June right. 22nd episode of Saturday <laughs> Night. The the biggest pay-per-view in WCW history, we're told, several times throughout the evening. Mm-hmm. And that's how they're announcing most of the matches. Right. We go to commercial, and when we come back, Arn and Benoit come out along with Steve McMichael in a horseman t-shirt holding his briefcase. He looks pretty fucking badass, to be honest with you. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Him as they're like heavy, just going around hitting people with a briefcase and winning their matches that way, mm-hmm. that works for me. Yeah. I wasn't thrilled with him as a horseman, but if that's what he's doing, count me on board. Yeah. Uh, as our dynamite stick counts down to hour number two, Tony repeats his absurd lie from a few episodes ago about hundreds of thousands of people being at Bash at the Beach last year. No, so he's doubling down on that one. <laughs> The Rock and Roll Express come out to massive boos because they're facing the horsemen, so yep. I don't know what they were expecting. <laughs> right. uh, this match is a rematch, actually, from the June 22nd Saturday night where the Rock and Roll Express actually won over the horsemen, uh, and you'll never guess how they won. It was a disqualification when Chris Benoit threw Ricky Morton over the top rope and what? Nick Patrick saw it. <laughs> I, it's the first time I've seen that enforced in, like, I can't remember how fucking long. Yeah, Tony refers to this as a big return match. <laughs> Emphasis <laughs> oh, on <yeah>. big. <laughs> we get the pyro and some music as it's time for hour two. Tony welcomes Bobby and asks him some rambling question, uh, but then goes to commercial before he can answer. And I was assuming that Bobby wasn't actually there. And right. he was just like reminding us that Bobby's going to be there after the commercial break. Uh-huh. But then as they fade to commercial, you hear Bobby go, when do I get to talk? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he was there. <laughs> Why did Tony ask him a five-minute question and then not allow him to answer it? <laughs> when we come back from commercial, we've apparently missed some stuff, as the WWE Network has a uh, text crawl that says, presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties. Uh, and here to call all of the action is our own technical difficulty, Dave Amantor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new one. <laughs> trying to get more creative with my, my <laughs> yes. intros for you. By the way, is it just me, or is Arn Anderson always the guy in the ring when the hour two fireworks start? Yeah, and uh, this is the second time that it's been the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> They're like, hey, you know it'll counter Steve Austin over on that Raw? Not that not that Austin's really a big deal yet, but okay, you know, let's what what's going to counter Shawn Michaels? <laughs> right. I know. We'll get the we'll dust off the fat <laughs> mulleted Rock and Roll <laughs> fucking Express. <laughs> You know, those guys Shawn Michaels idolized when he was like 12. (laughs) (laughs) Also, they they, they rang the bell for the match to start as they went to commercial break, which I thought was just really insulting to like fans that want to watch a wrestling match. The match is going to literally start as we're leaving. All I know is I've never been happier to see the WWE Network tell me that they're missing part of the original match. Yes. I was like, oh, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I saw I saw before that I watched it before I watched. I saw in um, the Wrestling Observer that it's a 10 minute match. And I was like, oh, God damn it. So like, hey, that's I didn't have to watch all 10 minutes. Yeah. By the way, from I from looking at like more the in real time reviews, I didn't see anything as far as like um, any technical technical difficulties during the broadcast so i'm not sure what the issue was but either way i i wasn't complaining either um so ricky morton starts off with chris benoit and there's a lot of posturing and we we get 
the first of many uh, shots down at ringside at Mago, who is laughing like a supervillain at ringside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which so it's like it, it it felt like it was a thrown together thing of him as a horseman, but he is really embracing the role. Chris Benoit starts to unload with chops and kicks as we're told the catering is empty because Flair and company worry about the presence of Randy Savage, which is a fairly good reason. Uh, yes, but the real reason is uh, that they don't want Flair to get a massive babyface reaction on television. Mm-hmm. So that's why he won't come out during the show at all, uh, but he's in that, quote, main event dark match. Yeah. But they did find a good reason for him not to be out there. I, I believe it's before he says that. Tony's doing a little hyping of the pay-per-view. I just have a note about this. And he mentions that he's talked to politicians. He's like, I've <laughs> talked to dignitaries, athletes, politicians. Like, <laughs> what the fuck politicians want to talk about <laughs> Bash at the Beach? Uh, so Morton gains advantage with a moonsault from the second turnbuckle for a two-count. He then tags in Robert Gibson, which I spell out their names like fully because if I don't do that, I'm going to get them so messed up. Right. A couple of wrist locks and a sense of flip and are all the offense that he can muster. While Tony shares a story about how Joe Gomez was such a Mongo fan, he's really disappointed in him or something. Hey, take a shot because on the June 22nd, Saturday <laughs> night, it was announced that Joe Gomez is going to be facing Mongo McMichael at the Bash of the Beach <laughs> pay-per-view. It's just based on, I used to be a Bears fan. I'm so disappointed now. I can't. There's like no match that I have less faith in one of the guys than I have in Joe Gomez going into that match. <laughs> right. He's got no chance. <laughs> also, I'm concerned about the fact that Joe Gomez is in theory, the veteran and it will have to carry that. Match. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, Arn Anderson gets tagged in to a huge ovation. Flair country loves Arn Anderson. Oh yeah. Uh, a Gibson whip to the turnbuckles is countered by an Arn Anderson el- back elbow, which gets that like that punch and reaction that Hogan would get, <laughs> like yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just for a back elbow. It's his first move. Arn goes to the top rope and is almost thrown off Flair style, but encounters with an eye rake. Perhaps this is something the Nature Boy should add to his repertoire. Ooh, yeah. This is followed up by a sleeper hold, which is okay. That's kind of hard to get reaction for. So there's some back and forth of guys not selling before Arn gets an eye poke on legal man Ricky Morton before immediately rolling out to the ringside. There's like this weird sequence where suddenly all four guys just don't want to sell for each other. And then he goes to the ringside like, okay, okay, let's just regroup here. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And then probably the greatest sequence on this Nitro. Benoit hides around the ring post corner. So when Morton comes and he ducks at Arn clothesline, Benoit is there to capitalize and te- take him down. Mm-hmm. And the, the the camera is right in the right position, so you can see it, but you can tell that Morton can't see it. Right. And it's awesome. Yeah. After throwing Morton back into the ring, Benoit gets tagged in. He kicks away on the rock and roller for a bit before Arn is back in, but Arn cannot withstand a Ricky Morton comeback, and Robert Gibson comes in to body slam the enforcer. He follows it up by knocking Benoit off the ap- apron, and before you know it, all four men are fighting in the ring. While Randy Anderson is distracted, Mago waffles Robert Gibson <laughs> with a halberd briefcase. Oh, yeah. Um, which is another cool moment because you can tell Robert Gibson he can see it coming, but he's in the middle of a backslide, so he cannot defend himself. He just has to watch and take it. So it's, that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially since I don't give 
too fucked about this guy. <laughs> it sucks because, like, objectively, they're legends. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to take that away from them. <laughs> right. It's just in 1996, dudes ain't got it anymore. They're not Ric Flair. <laughs> right. Some guys that were legends a long time ago are still great. Yeah. And some just don't got it anymore because <laughs> right. their whole thing was... Look how physically attractive we are, young women. Right. That's not the case anymore. <laughs> not, they they look horrifying. <laughs> right. They are horrifying looking yeah. men. So after the, the waffling, that gives uh, Benoit the pinfall victory. Um, and now, almost immediately afterwards, Joe Gomez is in the ring as the horsemen are beating down the Rock and Roll Express. What's Gomez doing in there, says Larry. And that's my thoughts exactly. It's <laughs> a great fucking question. <laughs> He's just so mad as a former Bears fan. Yeah. And now is my third favorite moment in which uh, Gomez gets waffled with a briefcase too. And then Arn and Benoit hold him out and Mongo slaps the shit out of Joe Gomez. He does the like the forehand slap, then the backhand, yeah. just like back and forth. It's, just... a, it's a full on like the paint brushing. Yeah, him. it's great. And uh, I just <laughs> since you're going to hear Mongo later, it's just like this is like coked up slapping too <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah he's he's feeling the juice the way he was last time man. yeah um as they beat him down for a while eventually brandy savage and kevin green are out for the save which is received by a chorus of boos and so kevin green the carolina panther is being booed in charlotte i will yes absolutely <laughs> but he's been a carolina panther for like three months True. You know, so, I mean, and they've only been a team for one season <laughs> at this point. My, my first so it's, it's, I'm just saying, it's not like Michael Jordan's getting booed in Chicago. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. My first thought was like, maybe they're mad because they caught, that was a lot of their salary cap. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, I thank you very much. Uh, all hell breaking loose out of the arena and some very, uh, I would say high concern on the part of the nature boy, Ric Flair. We are back in a secured area along with these lovely ladies, but more on that a little bit later on. You saw what just happened here, Ric Flair. I certainly did. I saw the horsemen who are reunited and in full force for the first time in a long time. Take charge. Steve McMichael, Woo, my hat's off to you, brother. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the story with Steve McMichael and his Halliburton? He just smashed another man, including one of the participants in the match, and then Gomez. That's for us to know and for you to worry about, macho man. Kevin Green, we're locked up, we're secured, we're under guard. And tonight, woo, and Charlotte, we mix woo, business with pleasure. Hey, look who's coming here. Here Chris Benoit, the enforcer Arn Anderson, and Steve McMichael. I don't believe it. Steve McMichael, we're taking the ball. Show him the ring, show him the ring. Put it on. Look here. Gentlemen, we are here. Look you here, Minji. Ain't it pretty? Ain't it pretty? I can see it, yes. As a matter of fact, I saw Michael Jordan doing this. He must be acknowledging the four horsemen. Sure he is. What are you talking about? We're everywhere. We're nationwide, baby. We're an island unto ourselves. Nobody can stop us. All right, very good, gentlemen. I'm sorry we are out of time. Don't be. Conan, remember, our Lord, our time. Thank you, the horsemen and the ladies, and stay tuned for WCW Monday Nitro when we come back here on TNT. Mean Gene is in the locker room with Ric Flair and the ladies. Elizabeth is noticeably trying to do more with her facial expressions this week. I wanted to give her credit because we've been hard on her before. Mm. I 
she's not just staring vacantly into space this week. She's actually trying to engage with the scene around her. <laughs> I will give her credit where, where tiny bits of credit are due. <laughs> Flair is overjoyed about the power of the horsemen. He says that he and the ladies are safe and under guard, and they'll all be fucking in the locker room rather than coming out. <laughs> something about mis- mixing business with personal or something, but right. clearly he's just like, I don't need to come out. I'm going to be fucking these women as soon as you leave the room, Gene. Also, by the way, the whole time I was pretty much distracted by the the Deborah underboob. Oh, sure. (laughs) And I don't blame you. The rest of the horsemen come back from their match, and Gene asks about Michael Jordan recently holding up the four horsemen symbol. I tried Googling to find any reference to this, and I couldn't find what they were talking about. My only thought was, like, he was indicating that they won four championships. Had they at this point, though? Because th- they won the championship right around this time, because I know mm. the finals were going... Anyway, who cares? We're not going <laughs> to figure it out now. Mongo screams <laughs> some nonsense in Gene's face. I tried five times to understand one of the sentences he says, <laughs> and I got fucking nothing. <laughs> so I was like... And then I was like, oh, you know what? WWE's got the captions. So yeah. I turned those on, and it literally just says, indistinct in huge brackets <laughs> at this point. Pete Jean's response is, all right, very good. (laughs) (laughs) He tries to end the segment, but it's at that moment that Flair remembers that he should probably say something about his match against Conan at the pay-per-view. So he settles on singing something, which also gets the indistinct treatment (laughs) on the fucking captions. So holy hell, this kind of devolved at the end there. (laughs) Which, it's so, I mean, that's what I was saying, like, (laughs) <laughs> Mago was like out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> I'm loving Mago the Horseman so far. <laughs> yes. Uh, we go to a commercial and a, we get a pre-tape promo where DDP tells Alex Wright that tonight, Wright will run like a cockroach when you turn on the light. <laughs> he, he, there, there was a dramatic pause in there too. I really like that. <laughs> As we come back from commercial, we go to the announcer's desk and Tony and Bobby ruminate on the increased security and the camaraderie we see in the wrestlers back in the locker room and dealing with this current threat. The crowd chants for Ric Flair. (laughs) Alex Wright's music plays and it's time to determine who will hold the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring. Bobby and Tony debate who holds the advantage in the main event at Bash at the Beach. Bobby believes it is the outsiders because WCW doesn't know who the third man is. He says, imagine playing the Super Bowl without knowing who the other team is before speculating that the third man will probably be some kind of, quote, critter. (laughs) (laughs) Out next is Diamond Dallas Page looking fucking awesome in pink and silver. Yes. We get no announcers again uh, during his entrance as I think the overdubbed uh, music is is again the problem. Oh, Because suddenly they just cut out for like a solid minute. And when we come back, Tony's in the middle of saying something about Ric Flair claiming to be a 48-time United States champion. Mm-hmm. It's actually five at this point in history. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, wait, so did Tony understand what he said? He did, he did. And the only reason I know this is because uh, because all those matches were being announced, I watched some of, not all of, the June 22nd, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And somebody... I, I don't see the actual Flair promo, but they mentioned this thing about Flair claiming to be a 48-time champion on that episode as well. Okay. So it is something that Flair has apparently said in a promo <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I, I like it. I like the just an absurd <laughs> claim. 
Paige starts the match by taunting Wright and then the fans, so Wright gets a roll-up for a two-count. Wright ducks a punch and gets another roll-up for less than a one, and then hits a weak dropkick that nonetheless sends Diamond Dallas Page to the outside. Tony tells us that should DDP retain the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring, <laughs> he will defend it at the pay-per-view against Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. <laughs> and this is becoming one of the worst fucking cards I've ever heard. <laughs> right. Oh, and by the way, go ahead and take a shot, because that match was announced on the June 22nd episode <laughs> of Saturday Night. DDP hops on the apron and spits it right, who tries to catch it? <laughs> he tries to catch the spit out of midair. That's that's his reaction to it. <laughs> they lock up, and Paige works the arm until Wright reverses. DDP tosses Wright into the mat by his hair and lays in with kicks before an Irish whip, but Wright gets a boot up as DDP charges into him in the corner. Wright goes for a vertical suplex, but DDP drives him face first into the mat. While DDP retains control, Tony and Bobby agree that they'll both be cheering for the WCW guys at the pay-per-view, though Bobby says he doesn't like Macho because he's crazy, and he thinks Sting spends too much time shaking hands with kids. <laughs> right. Wright is on his hands and knees, and DDP does his slip on the banana peel spot, where he goes for the big kick, but his opponent moves. Oh my god, I hate that spot so much. I like it, but he overuses it. Yeah, I like... Every match, he makes the same mistake, like mm. the same comical mistake. But it, do, it doesn't look convincing at all. It, it looks like a very forced, like comical spot. And I just, I would like his matches more if he just didn't do that one thing. That one uh, thing you're always. No fun. <laughs> I'm not fun. <laughs> when it comes to Diamond Dallas Page, I take my Diamond Dallas Page very seriously. <laughs> Wright follows up with an atomic drop and European uppercuts and then a jumping sidekick. A fired-up Wright gets a mixed reaction from the crowd before coming off the top rope with a double sledge for two. DDP tosses him to the outside, but Alex Wright is back in quickly with a springboard dropkick that sends DDP to the outside. Wright gets a plancha and rolls DDP back into the ring. Wright goes for a splash, but DDP gets his knees up and points at his big brain. <laughs> Wright escapes a gut-wrench powerbomb and goes for a belly-to-back suplex, but DDP hits him with an elbow and the out-of-nowhere diamond cutter for the victory. It's a decent pop for the diamond cutter, as mm -hmm. we've, we've been seeing lately. Gene joins DDP in the ring and asks for DDP's thoughts on the upcoming match with Duggan. DDP says if he gets the cutter on anyone, they have the life expectancy of a housefly. He wonders how he got stuck in a tape fist match, which is a good fucking question. Yes. Actually, yep. there's no reason why this has to escalate to Duggan's favorite kind of match. <laughs> right. DDP says that nobody has beat this guy in a tape fist match. Yet the only tape fist match that I can remember in our entire timeline so far is Duggan against Big Bubba at World War III, which Duggan, you guessed it, lost. <laughs> DDP addresses Duggan, but I heard none of it because a guy behind him has on green face paint, a backwards cap, and his shirt totally unbuttoned to reveal an A painted on his hairy chest. Mm -hmm. And he's just dancing around like a dumbass. Yeah. And I, I think it was the green face paint that was really distracting me, like... <laughs> Uh, his buddy next to him has an eye, so I'm assuming they've got a group that says Flair. Mm -hmm. Although I never... Did you see them at, at, at any point spell I, the whole thing? I didn't see him spell the whole thing. I did see that guy, though, and part of me believes that that was like it was tape on there. Which, yeah, I can which, see that. Yep. Which looked like it was a really bad idea because he had a very hairy chest. Yeah, that's going to be painful later. Um, Maybe, do you think it's not face paint and he's just that green because that's how drunk he is? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, uh, we were uh, Tim and I were talking about this before we started this podcast about how 
yesterday just happened to be one of those days of uh, the WWE Network in which it was just always shutting down. So I heard this promo like eight times because every ouch. time it came back, I always heard about how Jim Duggan's mother used to be tape fist fighter. Grandma. And, grandma. grandma yeah. And what should what does she look like nowadays or something like yeah. that? And I heard that over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> We go to commercial uh, with our pre-tape promo this time being Macho Man, and he's pissed about being called Nacho Man. That's about the summation of his comments here. Well, I liked it because it was tying him back into it. That's true. That's true. The Nacho Man thing is just, it's such a dumb joke Yeah. Um, for WWF to make, and now for them to even bother responding to that aspect. Although the fact that Hall has brought it up a number of times, okay, mm. okay, fine. I also liked his line of, uh, you guys aren't coming in taking over, that's my job. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, during the commercial break, we also get our second Glacier promo of the evening. Our world is about to change. Enter the realm. Blood runs cold. Each of us burns a fury of a warrior. Glacier. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, and if you wonder why Charlotte, North Carolina is going nuts tonight, there's a good reason. My guest at this time, outside linebacker for the Carolina Panthers, Kevin Green. Kevin, before we get anywhere, we saw you a little bit earlier on. Obviously, you have unfinished business with Steve Mongol McMichael. And with that, let's go back to the Great American Bash. All of a sudden, your teammate, your partner, taking a look at that cold, hard cash and describe what was going, going on right here. I think it's evident the man sold me out. For what? A couple of extra dollars? Like he didn't make enough money playing 15 years in the NFL. He's got to make a little extra cash on the side. I thought we were partners, man. We were tag team partners. He turned on me. Oh, a word off. Oh, I cannot believe it. That's the shot heard around the world. And I'm certain you've got a score to settle, but you've got other things that you've got to do right now. We've got a, an entire season coming up. Absolutely. I've got a game plan, though, Mean Gene. What is that? My game plan is this. I've got to play this year for the Carolina Panthers, and we're going to surprise some people. We're going to kick some ass. <laughs> well, it's too late. I can't bring that back. Mean Gene, I want you to know something. Every time I sweat, every time I train, every two-a-day workout, every quarterback I drill, every running back I pummel, I'm going to remember Mongo's slimy, backstabbing face, baby. And then I would assume after this season, I'm going to go on a Mongo hunt. Do you have to have a license for that? I'm talking lock and load, baby. Crosshairs on target, fire for effect. And one more thing, when the season's done, me and the Macho Man and two more superpowers from the WCW are going to get some payback, baby, in a big way. He is Kevin Green, outside linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he's got some great things in mind as we get you back to more action on Monday night. All right, Gene, thank you. Mean Gene is with Kevin Green uh, in the aisleway. They watch a clip of Mongo's recent heel turn. Green, of course, uh, feels betrayed, you know, because right. he was betrayed. <laughs> right. He has. <laughs> it's funny you feel betrayed because you were betrayed. <laughs> he tells Gene that he has a game plan. First, he, quote, 
has to play a season for the Carolina <laughs> Panthers. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not what he meant, but the Freudian right. slip of it just really yeah. fucking tickled me. <laughs> he gets a cheap pop by saying that they're going to surprise some people and kick some ass. And believe it or not, he's actually uh, completely right. As the Panthers, in only their second season as a franchise, went 12-4 and and made the playoffs where they won a divisional round game over the fucking Dallas Cowboys. Oh. Like the Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys. So at first I was like, I looked it up to be like, ha ha, no they didn't. <laughs> right. But no, he, he was right. They surprised the people and kicked <laughs> some fucking ass. Do you know who their quarterback was when they were doing all this? Uh, wait, Carolina Panthers in 95? 96. 96, Testaverde? Kerry Collins. Wow. They got to the <laughs> NFC Championship game with fucking Kerry Collins. <laughs> uh, it was in the NFC Championship game, though, where they succumbed to the eventual Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers. Ah. Green assures us that he's going to remember what Mongo did, and after this season, he's going to go on a Mongo hunt. He and the Macho Man and two other WCW stars are going to seek payback against the Horsemen. Uh, so I'm assuming... And I know that he's got some other matches in WCW, mm-hmm. at least like one or two. I'm assuming what this is, seems to be leading to is a War Games match after the NFL season's over. So don't tell me if I'm on anything or not. But when you're like, I'm going to get three guys and we're going to go against these four guys right. in WCW, that usually means War Games. Mm-hmm. Although, and, and given how good his one match was, I wouldn't mind that. Although the only thing is with War Games, that's in during the season. I suppose that's true because that is a specific pay per view. It's not just a match they have whenever they feel like it. Yeah, but no, they're definitely they're talking about doing like uh, an eight man tag, and I like the idea of seeing the Horsemen all together teaming up. I agree. Out comes VK Wall Street, then the Macho Man, accompanied by Kevin Green. Tony tells us that Macho will come quote literally sideways down to the ring. So imagine my disappointment when he walks forward like a human. <laughs> Tony has betrayed me, but there's one man whose calls will never betray you, and that's our own Dave Amantor. <laughs> uh, so right away, Tony is talking about the different people that he has heard of outside of wrestling. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> that are that are concerned about the invasion. Uh, one of them being uh, Del Curry. Del Curry, of course, has a very famous son that plays professional basketball. You might know him as Seth Curry of the Dallas Mavericks. Oh, I thought it was going to go to Stephen Curry. <laughs> or are they brothers? They're this brothers. This is a joke that I would know if I knew more about basketball. <laughs> I had no idea his brother. <laughs> you probably were like, this is such a good joke, and I'm such a fucking NBA <laughs> idiot that I had no idea. No, that's just a joke for my brother because he's on the Mavericks. Hi, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just like, I like the idea Del Curry is like, he's playing basketball, but he's really concerned about the future of WCW. Right, right. <laughs> and also, in re- in reality, Steph Curry is about to begin going to the third consecutive NBA Finals. Hmm. So it's like, <laughs> just 20 years, that's like, we go from Del Curry to like Steph Curry, that's like dominating yeah. the league. Uh, I thought what you were going to say, and maybe this is later in the match, in which case we'll just edit this out and we'll mm. talk about it later. But I thought you were going to talk about when Tony says that Hogan and the Giant uh, wanted to help WCW. And then Bobby says that, in fact, Antonio Inoki called from Japan and the Belfast Bruiser called from Ireland or wherever he's from. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Belfast. <laughs> wherever the Belfast Bruiser. <laughs> Seems like if I were trying to narrow it down. 
Like, if if it'd be clear that he was making a joke if he said the Belfast Bruiser called from wherever he's from, but he mm. said from Ireland <laughs> or wherever he's from. <laughs> I didn't have that noted, but I did remember when he said that, I was like, great, now I want to know what happened if Antonio Anoki was one of the guys. <laughs> Maybe he's the third man. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. Um, uh, Savage, as we mentioned, is accompanied by Kevin Green, who is just his presence is enough of a distraction for Wall Street for Macho Man to sneak attack for the at the opening bell. So this is another situation which the network was not working for me. So I saw over and over and over oh, Wall Street getting his head at the turbuckle. The last guy I want to <laughs> see any part of a match of is fucking <laughs> Wall Street. I uh. What's his goddamn name? Rotunda, Mike Rotunda, William Rotunda. What's his? This is Mike Rotunda. Mike Rotunda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just—he's a very competent professional wrestler. Mm -hmm. He's just so fucking boring. Yeah, and his gimmicks are always like, "I am a rich old white man," and it's like that's the most boring thing there is. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just like he's boring. His gimmicks are boring. His wrestling—he's a heel. So like. Part of being a heel is just being kind of boring. Yeah. I just fucking, I can't stand watching his matches at all. And the thing about BK Wall Street, if he's like, uh, as a wrestler, if he's like a rich white guy, where do you think he comes in the pecking order of like rich white guys in wrestling? Ooh, that's a good, yeah. We or should. even even in this roster, he has to be like towards the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can't even buy like a decent, he, he can't he can't buy a Lord of the Ring title shot. <laughs> <laughs> he can't even buy a singlet that he doesn't have to tug the bottom of the whole goddamn oh, match. Christ, with that cheesy dollar sign in the back of it. <laughs> right. It's terrible. So anyway, we have a whole match of this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a I'm pretty sure that when I figured out the match assignments for uh-huh. this thing, that I went to this one, figured out, and then went every other <laughs> to make sure that you had to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I got I got this and I got the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> that, this is what happens when you're the host of the show. <laughs> so anyway, kicks and punches galore before a whip into the turnbuckle sends Wall Street to the outside to recuperate as yet another We Want Flair champ breaks out. This is really seems to be backfiring on them. Because that's the only reaction I'm really getting from the fans is that they want flair, and that's the only thing they're not getting. Mm-hmm. Wall Street decides to shove Green before go- jumping back into the ring, where he's rolled up for a two count. So not only is that just aggravating the other guy, but it also backfired on him. Yep. Now it's Savage's turn to spend time at ringside, where he nearly goes over the barricade. How he got there, I don't know, because the fucking network wasn't working. It just came back, and I just saw him like, Head over heels over the barricade. I was like, yeah, it's a good point to go from. <laughs> yep. Back in the ring, uh, Wall Street gains the advantage before Savage resorts, resorts to more eye gouging. By the way, he is eye gouging him a lot and choking him a lot. And and they're playing that off as, as far as him being really unhinged is concerned. I don't know if it's during this match or if it's during the main event, but, they, but uh, Heenan talks about how he wants Savage to not be so unhinged. Mm-hmm. And then Tony suggested that it's actually a good thing if he's unhinged, if he faces the outsiders like that. Yeah, that's true. Which I thought was like a good counterpoint for him to make. He's like a, a dangerous weapon you don't like handling, but you just point him at your enemies, you know, and you're like, yeah. do your thing. <laughs> right. 
after a couple of quick two counts, uh, Savage hits a suplex, which again only gets two. Savage then uh, misses a regular elbow drop. Ooh. An opening VK takes advantage of. He kicks and punches away on Macho Man, then hits a suplex. Wall Street then goes to the top rope, which just feels like a mistake. Indecisive about his next move, Wall Street, essentially he climbs the ropes before a double axe handle smash, which is like quickly countered by a savage boot. So not only was it a bad idea to go up there, he had no idea what he was doing as soon as he started. <laughs> and it was like, if you watch it, him just climbing the ropes just looks really weird. Mm-hmm. A couple of clotheslines later, and Savage now heads to the top. Wall Street indicates this match isn't over because he is busy tugging again at the bottom of his singlet, which he spends every moment of every match doing. Yep. I mentioned it earlier, but it's also my notes how annoyed <laughs> I am with that. Uh, roll, Wall Street, of course, rolls to the outside to avoid this defeat, but, quite, but Savage is quickly after him. While Savage... Okay, let me go back. Wall Street rolls to the outside to avoid his defeat, but Savage is quick to try to get after him. For some reason, Randy Anderson decides to stop him from going outside the ring. So then Wall Street does the comical thing in which he backs up into Kevin Green, who gets a measure of revenge by throwing Wall Street into the ring post. He then tosses VK back into the ring, where Savage slams him and hits the elbow drop for the win. And, boy, that was just... It was rough. That whole thing was rough, and I just I don't need to see you anymore, Wall Street. <laughs> I was I was even getting some of those like uh, phantom flashbacks of his long ass match with Ric Flair. Oh god, yeah. Oh man, was that? I think that was one that I like refused to take notes on, if I remember right, because it was because <laughs> early in the show we were because, kind of figuring it out still. Because once again, I was assigned to Wall Street. <laughs> I get Wall Street duty at all times. <laughs> <laughs> You're our senior Wall Street correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what's new with the VK Wall Street front? Not a lot, Tim. <laughs> Not a lot. We go to commercial along with the pre-tape promo with Sting and Luger, who are pumped to face the Steiners in Harlem Heat because they're the best tag team c- competition in the world. Uh, and I like it. That's just solid baby face. I, we mm-hmm. want to face the best stuff. Yeah, th- this is also what I was saying earlier because they taped this before he did the face paint. Yeah. Now, Luger seems a lot happier. Well, it's funny because be- Sting has his face paint on. Mm-hmm. So, like, I-, I think Luger probably was supposed to, like, have it done. He was like, no, let's do this first before I have that stupid makeup <laughs> on. Because <laughs> I know I'm going to be too sad. <laughs> Back from commercial and Harlem Heater out first. Booker is on his cell phone, and Tony notes that they came out uh, with their cell phones on Saturday night as well. Tony says that it was Sherry who they were talking to on Saturday night, um, and I watched a little bit of that match, and I don't know how they figured out it was Sherry, because she doesn't come out like during the match. Mm-hmm. She doesn't figure into the finish. I didn't watch the whole match, so I, but yeah. I have no clue how they figured out it was Sherry. Uh, anyway, yeah, they're just doing a gimmick. Uh, they'll do it again next week, spoiler alert, where they come out at the mm-hmm. beginning of their match, and they're on a cell phone. By, d- by the way, a very underrated thing to be good at, it, Booker T makes it look very convincing he's actually talking to someone on the yeah, cell phone. Yeah, he does. He really does. A dad in the crowd holds his super cute daughter who dances a little bit to the Harlem Heat song, and she's right to do it because this song is amazing. <laughs> yes. Next come the Steiners to barks from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Tony hypes a string of upcoming house shows in the Northeast, WWF territory, uh, which we've mentioned on previous episodes. 
Who knows, says Tony. Maybe the guys who you know who they are will be there. Uh, spoiler alert, no, they won't. <laughs> and you know they won't, Tony <laughs> Shivani. How dare you? We go to commercial as Bobby freaks out, going, who's that? That's nobody. Stay cool, says Tony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I remember that He's part like, now. Yeah, like they're going to get attacked or yeah. something. <laughs> when we come back, Sting's music plays and out come the tag team champions. Sting has a military-style jacket in black trimmed with silver and pink tassels, and it's fucking awesome. Yes. It's so cool. Yeah, and the, the only thing that's, like, a little bit weird is, like, when you, you see, if he didn't have his belt on, yeah. that it would probably show his, like, belly button. Be a little crop top. Be a little crop yeah. top, but, no, it is really cool looking. And I actually like the way it contrasts with Luger, who's wearing black, uh, black trunks and black boots. Yeah. Like, it's just cool that these are the tag team champions, and one guy is, like, kind of a more flamboyant out there character and the other guy is just like a cocky look at my fantastic body yeah. and i got i i'm not showy you know especially entrance sting by yes, the way yes <laughs> entrance sting's all about the flash he gets a plus 10 to charisma <laughs> that must be a like coat of charisma maybe uh it must be more dorky jokes please <laughs> Tony reminds us of the rules of this match. Only two men can legally be in the ring at one time, but there are no countouts or disqualifications. Uh, I don't think he says that, but actually it's in the pre-tape promo with Sting and Luger earlier. They mention, and that's going to be important. I'm going to refer to that several times. No countouts, no disqualifications. Oh, okay. See, I didn't catch that. Now it makes more sense. At times it makes sense. At times it actually makes none of this make any sense. <laughs> A coin flip will determine which two teams will start. Uh, but we never see that coin flip. We just, two guys start off, and I presumably there was a coin flip yeah, backstage. Yeah, the, the three tag teams are in the middle of the ring, yeah. around Randy Anderson, no, Nick Patrick. Yep. I, I was ready for a coin flip. They've mentioned it twice on the show. Yeah. We just don't see it. The babyface teams jaw jack at each other while Harlem Heat stand around coolly. We don't see the coin flip, but it looks like Booker T and Scott Steiner are going to be starting things off. They lock up, and Scott gets a headlock takeover. They lock up again, and Booker gets Steiner in the corner. He goes for a hip toss, but Steiner reverses it into one of his own. They lock up a third time, and Steiner gets on a headlock. Booker pushes him into the ropes, where Stevie nails him in the back from the outside, and Booker kicks him in the head for a two count. Booker locks on a headlock, but Steiner elbows out. Booker keeps control by working the arm, but he misses a big round kick, and Steiner kicks him in the gut and gets double underhooks into what Tony calls a side salto. Uh, which <laughs> I looked up, there's an amateur wrestling move called a salto that kind of looks like this. So I, I don't know. And and WCW, I've noticed, sometimes has like in-house names for moves that are a little different mm -hmm. from what I'm used to in WWF. So maybe that is the name of the move. I, I don't know. Luger breaks up the pin rather than lose the belts. Booker and Scotty both take in their brothers, so we get a mini rematch of last week's hot opener. <laughs> Tony tells, <laughs> Tony tells Bobby that WCW received a letter of support from Tim Shaw, the mayor of Jennings Gap, Virginia. Oh, man. <laughs> Bobby feigns to be impressed by hearing from such a luminary before being shocked that they have a post office there. <laughs> he, also, he also makes the assumption that there is a post office because he knows that that guy couldn't be using a telephone. <laughs> man, this was... <laughs> This one comment is like 10 minutes of fodder for <laughs> Bobby Heenan. That's why he's the best. <laughs> Stevie stays in control with boring kick punch offense until Rick gets a German suplex. A pin is broken up by Booker T. And Scott beats Stevie Ray over into Lex and Sting's corner and then bafflingly tags in Sting, <laughs> which in kayfabe makes him an absolute fucking idiot. 
Although I'd say out of kayfabe, I don't think Scott Steiner's a genius. <laughs> so maybe it all makes sense. My, T- Tony's shocked. Tony calls him yeah. out on it. My my only thought behind any of this strategy is the fact that that every wrestler in there knows they can just break up a pin. But you you can break up pins till the cows come home, right? Yeah. But what you can't do is somehow get yourself back into the match. Mm-hmm. That's the part that makes no sense. That's true. So I I mean, I don't know. It's just we've talked about it before. Yeah. It's stupid that I it, hate that these a, rules. That a team could possibly be out of the ring like the whole time. The only thing I'll say is they're significantly better than when the WWF does uh it's a, I think it's even later than this. In fact, I know it's later than this. They do uh, a tag match where it's like four teams, but only two can be in the middle in the ring at any time. Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, the New Age Outlaws are in the match. At one point, they both end up there in there. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're supposed to wrestle themselves or something. Like, why wouldn't one just lay down and the other pin him and then they win and loot? Like, that? this at least makes more sense than that. Pretty. Like down the road, did I d- break you? Did I, did I break your <laughs> <Yeah>. brain? <laughs> D- no, I was about to say that down the road that that, that WWE do a similar thing, but the wrestlers realize that they should p- just oh, pin okay. each other. Oh, okay. So that that gives like less like leeway for sure. WWF because like there is an example of what they should do there. Harlem Heat double team Sting in their corner until Nick Patrick comes over and warns them, and then they stop. But that's fucking stupid because there's no disqualifications. <laughs> Why all four guys aren't in the middle of the ring hitting each other with chairs until one team is the last team conscience is fucking stupid. <laughs> right? Harlem Heat, at least they're heels. Like the other guys, okay, their excuses are baby faces. They don't do that. Harlem Heat should just jump down as soon as one of them is the legal man. They should jump down, grab two chairs, and just waffle everyone until they're the only guys alive. Yeah. And then they're tag team champions. <laughs> See, I, I completely missed the, the idea that there was no DQ. So I, I'm not 100% sure if it's true. It's something that Sting and Lex said in their promo. Yeah. So maybe they're going off script. I don't know. Booker T gets tagged in and stays in control on Sting until he misses a big kick and ends up crotching himself on the top rope. Sting bounces the top rope a few times before getting an inverted atomic drop, which Tony calls a powerbomb. Yes, he sure oh, no, did. No, he calls it an inverted powerbomb. And I was like, I'm trying to figure out what an inverted powerbomb would even look like. And the closest <laughs> I could come to is maybe a dominator. That's kind <laughs> of an inverted powerbomb. Anyway, not important. But uh, I just wanted to point out that the Booker T missing like the sidekick and getting crotched, like, yeah. he executed it perfectly. Flawlessly. The man is a phenomenal athlete. Yes. It's ridiculous. Sting gets a two count from a scoop slam. He goes for another scoop slam and then a splash, but Booker gets his knees up and tags in Stevie, who lays into Sting with kicks and an elbow before choking him. He breaks the hold at a five count, which again is fucking stupid. He should <laughs> choke him until he's dead and then pin him. Tim, I just want to <laughs> say that I think you can't murder your opponent. <laughs> no disqualification, baby. <laughs> I, the match will get thrown out due to death. <laughs> A slam gets a two count. We go to commercial, and when we come back, Sting has a headlock slapped onto Booker T. Uh, But Booker soon breaks out of it with a jawbreaker and tags in his brother. Stevie gets a power slam for two. Bobby says that he has guests coming to Nitro next week, and Tony, for some reason, guesses Bill and Hillary? Yes. (laughs) And Bobby then says, no, George and Martha. (laughs) Okay, like, I don't know where any of this was going. I don't know if there's actually a storyline where he has guests next week. I guess we'll find out. It was really weird yeah 
Like, Tony should know that if he brings it in a different direction, Bobby will follow. Right. Yes. <laughs> Stevie Ray gets a nerve hold on Sting as the crowd and Lex try to synchronize clap Stinger back to life. Against the ropes, Sting whips Stevie across the ring but fails to notice that Stevie's tagged in Booker. Booker comes in as Sting comes off the opposite ropes and Book hits him with a huge spinning wheel kick. Booker poses before the pin, which Rick Steiner breaks up. Stevie is tagged back in, and Sting takes him down with a shoulder block, and then basically falls unconscious with his head hitting Stevie in the dick by accident. Boy, and he had to aim for that, too. Yeah. Because he, was, he wasn't he was exactly on. You can just tell. He's like, lean, lean. Okay. Now, look, Dave, I don't want to sound like too much of an SJW, but this match <laughs> sure has a lot of white men humiliating black men by attacking their sex organs. <laughs> right? Like... That's twice in the same match that, like, the black dudes have the white dudes hurt their dicks. I don't know. It seemed weird. Maybe I'm just so colorblind I didn't notice it. (laughs) Oh, is Harlem Heat black? I didn't even. (laughs) Is is the Harlem Heat black? (laughs) Oh, 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 is that? Are they they African Americans? (laughs) Sting is lights out on the canvas, but Stevie is in so much pain, I guess that he feels the need to tag in Booker rather than try for a pin. His, I mean, his opponent's unconscious next to him, but instead he goes for a tag. Booker tries to enter the ring with a top rope splash, but Sting rolls out of the way and manages to tag in Lex. Lex runs wild on the Harlem Heat. Be more accurate to make the shitty joke about running mild. It's a hot tag, but it's, his, yeah. it's not a good hot tag at all. Right. It's all forearms and clotheslines. And... Isn't this the first time Luger's in, too? Yes. Did they make a point of saying that? Yeah, and then very briefly, uh, Tony, I think it's Tony's making a point that Luger has not been in yet. And all he's saying is he's not been tagged in yet. Mm-hmm. And Bobby, for a second, in that thing that you were talking about, is like, are you saying that he's... And it's like, Tony's yeah. like, no, I'm just saying he hasn't <laughs> been tagged into the match. <laughs> Tony's like, no, 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 no. Don't even. I don't want to be responsible for this. The camera cuts to a wide angle, and you can see Nash and Hall make their way down the steps of the arena, and the fans freak out as they realize mm. what's happening sort of row by row. Lex gets a power slam, but the show then cuts to a closer shot of the Outsiders, and Tony immediately calls for security. Hall and Nash climb the barricade, and you can see that they've got aluminum baseball bats with them. Luger goes to put Booker in the torture rack. Nash and Hall beat the bats on the ring steps, and Luger drops uh, Booker, and the Steiner, Sting, and Luger all turn towards the corner where the Outsiders are. The ring is suddenly filled with cops, <laughs> all facing uh, along with the baby faces towards the right where the Outsiders stand. And so nobody notices Booker T roll up Lex from behind, and Nick Patrick, who sees that the ring is filled with men with guns, right. counts the one, two, three victory. <laughs> so I guess maybe there is no DQ. <laughs> He, See, he really takes that no TQ seriously, other than counting for, like, five counts on chokeholds. See, that ending makes a little bit more sense if it's no DQ, because if it's not no DQ, that match should have been thrown out as soon as 57,000 policemen yeah. come in. There is too many policemen. <laughs> Harlem Heat are handed the titles, and they make their way past the Outsiders to the ramp so they can leave, and this fucking sucks. Yeah. Fucking ruins so much right here for me personally Mm -hmm. because it undercuts the idea that WCW is a united front 
against right. the Outsiders, even though one of the things I happened to catch on the June 22nd Saturday night was a series of promos from like mid-level WCW guys mm-hmm. talking about how they will defend WCW from the Outsiders, including Harlem fucking Heat. Right. <laughs> it makes the Outsiders look completely, um, not emasculated is the wrong word, but it makes them look like they're not going to put actions behind their words. Yeah. Because they just let these WCW guys walk right past them. Harlem Heat has spent their entire career in WCW. They are they are WCW. Mm-hmm. So it's very stupid. Uh, and it just, it, it really lays bare any question that this is an angle or a shoot. Like, no, this is clearly an angle. Yeah. They just let those guys walk past because they're heels and... In normal wrestling, that's how it would work. Heels would just let heels kind of do whatever. Mm-hmm. In this storyline, it makes no sense. Yeah, and and you can tell that at least Scott Hall is trying. He's he's the wonder. He's like, should I do something? You can yeah. tell that he's generally like, I, I don't know if if it was something where it's like, you know, when they're planning it out, they didn't realize like, oh wait, those guys are going to pass by them. How should they react? Like that wasn't planned out, right? And what is he is he going to like? hit them with an aluminum bat like that's the aluminum bats are there to not actually be used they're an aluminum bat it's hard yeah uh it's it's a hard weapon to like work you know yeah it's one of those where like the sledgehammer you have to put your hand on the end of it and mm-hmm. then hit the guy with your hand and then everyone's like why wouldn't you just swing it like a human being swings a bat yeah <laughs> why wouldn't you just murder him at that point not to get too off topic but that's why i always hated that fucking sledgehammer by the way yeah never once has he swung it like a person swings a sledgehammer why not just get a plastic sledgehammer so he could do that i I don't understand no i don't i never got that either and especially like the hand over it it just it it just like reeks of like a work anyway before we uh, move on with the show i want to mention that this is the fifth title reign for harlem heat with the tag team championships ah Tony says that never before have we seen a scene like this, and he thinks scenes are worth a thousand, no, a million words. <laughs> Hall and Nash... Ba- <laughs> wait, wait, wait. A million. Hall and Nash back off, and the cops appear to be satisfied with this and don't try to arrest them or anything. Mm-hmm. There's like, well, as long as you back away slowly, I guess we're cool. <laughs> we get a replay that better shows off how uh, Harlem Heat won, just in case you kind of missed it with all the shit that was going on earlier. Right. Men have their hands on their guns, but apparently WCW would rather show the replay of the end of a wrestling match. <laughs> like, there's a standoff between armed men happening in the arena right now, and they're like, well, let's go to the slow-mo. <laughs> Tony promises that WCW won't go lightly, and there won't be a hostile takeover. He continues to promise that on July 7th, there won't be a hostile takeover, and then just kind of completely loses track of what the fuck he's saying, because somewhere in there he ends with, there will be a new regime, I can tell you that. <laughs> like, no, dude, that's the opposite of what you're trying to say, what the fuck? <laughs> Heenan uh, just simply gets too scared and bails before the end of the show. Right. Tony signs off, and that is our show. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's a dark match after the show where Ric Flair fought Randy Savage. I assume he beat him. Uh, uh, Flair beat Savage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I seem like a safe assumption based on the crowd and the fact that it's not on TV. Yeah, they did. He got away with the, the loaded knuckles for the pinfall. All right. Well, we've still got a lot to cover in our Raw recap. Ahmed Johnson beat Triple H, who is still on his post-curtain call job tour. <laughs> the Bonnie Donnas defeated the Brooklyn Brawler and Jerry Fox. Vader, Owen Hart. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Vader, Owen Hart, and the Bulldog defeated Aldo Montoya, Savio Vega, and Barry Horowitz. And The Undertaker defeated Steve Austin via DQ when Goldust interfered. And uh, at least with the Steve Austin and uh, Undertaker gimmicks, this is the first time those men had a match. I don't know if they oh. did when he was like mean Mark Callis or any of that yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely the first Undertaker-Steve Austin match. Gotcha. In our ratings roundup, Nitro had a 3.3 in hour one and a 3.2 in hour two for an aggregate score of 3.2 as compared to Raw's 2.7. In our news segment, uh, I do want to talk a lot about the hearing that I uh, mentioned last week uh, that where they were in court today talking about that uh temporary restraining order that wwf is seeking oh, before sure. the pay-per-view mm-hmm. um so i've got a lot of notes on that but i think i want to skip to this first uh to say that last night the wwf held the 1996 king of the ring pay-per-view which saw stone cold steve austin defeat jake roberts in the tournament final uh of course this was followed by the famous promo where austin said uh you know you talk about your your john, bible and your john 316 yeah. Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass, whooped your ass, whatever it says. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Meltzer hilariously understates the importance of this uh, Austin 316 promo. Yeah. Uh, this is the quote from the Wrestling Observer. Austin got the pin with the Stone Cold Stunner and did a strong post-match interview, knocking Robert's religion and drinking problems. <laughs> That's all he says about it. <laughs> if you actually go to like the newsletter archive, the headline for this particular issue says like... Uh, understatement of austin promo or something like it says like hey this is the one where dave famously forgets to talk about how important this promo is nice (laughs) at least he owns up to it (laughs) all right and all right so let's go and talk about uh court matters yay attorneys david dunn representing wcw and jerry mcdevitt representing the wwf appeared before judge peter dorsey in united states district court for the district of connecticut uh, for two hours of arguments regarding the temporary restraining order. Uh, by the way, I, I just want to be clear in my attributions here. A lot of this language is directly lifted from the newsletter because I didn't feel like re-paraphrasing all this. Sure. So just put big quotes around most of what I'm about to say. <laughs> okay. Dorsey, who is in the middle of a major organized drug case, after two hours stated that he doesn't know anything about wrestling and doesn't have enough time to learn it right now, but when his current case is complete, he will devote four days to hearings on the subject, which is expected to be around the second week of July. Now, the key to that hearing is, of course, that won't be until after the pay-per-view, so WCW pretty much considers this a big win. WWF is still hoping that there are other legal options that they can take to somehow shut down the angle or make WCW admit publicly. Oh, yeah. All those, like, ridiculous demands. Right, right. <laughs> so they're still hoping to somehow ruin the angle prior yeah. to the pay-per-view. Anyone that wants to watch WWF programming can tune into <laughs> Monday Night Raw on USA Network. <laughs> Neither Vince McMahon nor Eric Bischoff were at the hearing, although both, along with Nash Hall and Titan Sports president Linda McMahon, may be required by the judge to be at subsequent hearings or available for depositions. Among the key points of the hearing were done pointing out that over the past few years, there have been 41 wrestlers who have left one of these companies to go to the other, and that in 28 of those cases, the wrestlers who switch companies maintain the same name and basic persona, and there has never been a lawsuit filed before. Dunn claimed that most of Hall's mannerisms, from his look, the style of his trunks, his hair, and the toothpick, 
and referring to himself as the bad guy were created by WCW for the Diamond Stud character. It was actually Titan who copied all of those things to create Razor Ramon. Ooh. McDevitt argued that if they were to call the characters Diamond Stud and Vinny Vegas, they would have no problem. But by not giving Hall and Ash a name, the public was led to believe that they were still Razor Ramon and Diesel. At one point, Dorsey asked Dunn to have WCW play down the Ramon character, and Dunn said that he would suggest that to his clients, provided that McDevitt agreed he wouldn't sue WCW based on anything that takes place on the July 7th pay-per-view, <laughs> uh, which McDevitt did not agree to. <laughs> McDevitt claimed that anything <laughs> seriously <laughs> like National Hall just come out like we are WWF we yeah, work like, for Vince McMahon with yeah picket signs I'm miming picket signs <laughs> for some reason right now and they have like Vince McMahon on their shirts and <laughs> McDevitt claimed uh, that if he could get Bischoff under oath at the hearing that he would only need to ask 10 questions to prove the case conclusively. Ooh. I really wish I knew what those 10 questions were. <laughs> Ooh, we got a cocky guy here. As we've talked a little bit about in the past, WCW officials claim that they are in the process of researching trademarks for uh, planned new ring names for Hall and Nash. And if those names clear, they'll be given the names as soon as possible. If not, on Bash at the Beach, they will be referred to as the they will be referred to by the announcers as Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. So they've now said in court that if we can't come up with our own gimmick names, Mm -hmm. we'll just call them their real names. The irony of this lawsuit, and this is still Dave Meltzer pointing this out, is that this reverses the positions of both organizations in a similar 1991 angle involving Ric Flair joining the WWF to feud with Hulk Hogan, wearing what was then the NWA, now WCW, championship belt. Flair was initially portrayed by WWF as being a wrestler under contract to a rival organization and, quote, the real world champion wearing that rival group's title. WCW went to court and won, getting the belt itself back, whereupon McMahon just bought a new replica belt. (laughs) At that point, they wound up in court again, and again WCW won, and WWF was not allowed to show the belt on any of their television shows. McMahon then came up with the idea of digitizing the belt, which is what they went with after that. And it wasn't even from that point on, it wasn't even really the big gold belt. They just took an old tag belt and digitized it. Okay. You remember that? No, I don't. Oh, that was, uh, you, that probably was before you were watching. I, th- that was a big angle from when I was a kid. That was a really good angle. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, we've talked a little bit about how sometimes WCW... They'll defend themselves, and what they say makes perfect sense, and, and you're on their side, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we talk about how WWE will point out some of the shady shit that goes on on their hotline. Yeah. And, of course, we can't call the hotline anymore, and the audio archives aren't saved online or anything. Mm-hmm. But I do have a specific example uh, from something that Mark Madden said on the June 12th uh, like little recording he left on the hotline. And I quote, On last week's Raw, Vince McMahon said that Big Daddy Cool and the bad guy were no longer affiliated with his promotion. But what else would McMahon say? I mean, when the good old U.S. of A. caught those dirty, commie, nuclear spies Julius and Ethel Rosenberg and fried them in the electric chair in the 50s, Russia didn't step forward and admit responsibility. (laughs) Espionage is espionage. It's secret. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. now you can see uh, when you hear shit like that, you're like, okay, WWF does have somewhat a case <laughs> to say that they're trying deliberately to confuse the market. Yeah. And the thing is, and I think we talked about last week, it's like a lot of this could be resolved. If they just 
didn't let Mark Madden talk shit. Seriously. <laughs> he also said that he had to be careful talking about it because of, quote, the legalities of using non-WCW talent. Mm. When, of course, they are WCW talent. It's all a fucking work. Right. So, yeah, uh, it sounds like a lot of their problems, like you said, are Madden and Mean Gene doing a bunch of bullshit for this fucking hotline. Yeah, because I, I, I imagine that they probably didn't like supervise a whole lot of what they did. They just kind of let them do their thing. But it seems like they're, they've reached a point where it's like, Madden, you are just making things worse for us. This could go a lot easier if you just didn't like say something else stupid that just made it worse. Yeah, I forget if I've mentioned it specifically on the show before, but around this time, because of all of what's going on, uh, Madden is now required to submit scripts to WCW for what he's going to say on the hotline. Right. And in Mark Mann's defense, like WCW should have asked for that from the beginning. Well, and also in Mark Mann's defense, he is a big fat piece of shit. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you would, you would for the, the V for victory right to the, <laughs> that was your heel turn there. All right. So there's only two things left to talk about. First, Dave, mm -hmm. who is your MVP of the show? My MVP of the show is actually going to be Booker T. Um, it seemed like one of the very few times on Nitro in which you've heard him talk. Um, and there are a lot of guys to get to talk every week that are very incompetent. And I felt like that he at least has passable mic skills, and it shows that he is a, a much more valuable talent than they probably have realized he was at this point. Um, also, the, the talking on the cell phone thing, I thought that was a plus. And yep. he was, and he's just clearly showed himself as a superior athlete for all six guys in that match. So for those reasons, I gave him my MVP. All right. Well, I will be honest with you and uh, tell you that in my notes here, it says MVP question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> I had a real trouble naming one for this show. Yeah. Uh, I did not feel, and we'll talk about it uh, briefly in a minute, but uh, I did not feel this was a particularly great nitro. It wasn't, no one sucked exactly. It was just boring mm -hmm. uh none of the matches were good and some of them were bad yeah uh my mvp i'm gonna say tony giovanni uh because he did a great job of hyping the pay-per-view um yes. without without crossing over into doing it too much which is a very easy thing to do yep um so i'm gonna go Shivani for making me want to buy the pay-per-view because lord knows watching that guy drown in the ocean uh right. was not, <laughs> didn't yep. make me want to order it also, I felt like he had a lot of vital saves, too, in which uh, when the results weren't clear, he at least clarified it. Yeah. Um, and he made sure to bring up, like, the stipulations for the triangle match. So there was a lot of stuff that could have been very muddled that he at least made a lot clearer. Sure. Uh, what was your match of the night? Um, well, I know we, do, we go with, like, match or segment or something yep, like yep, that. Yep. So I am going specifically with that double team move that I talked about with Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit because it was really awesome. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I just, because the rest of the match is just, it's an eyesore and most of these matches are eyesore. So I just wanted to point out like a particularly great moment that I really enjoyed. And it was that. Hey guys, Tim here. Uh, Sans Dave. Turns out that at the point we are now in the episode, uh, my dog started barking and I went, I had a neighbor at the door who needed to borrow something. And when we came back and finished up the episode, we just had a couple more minutes of discussion. Uh, it turns out I wasn't recording. 
So uh, you missed me with uh, what my match of the night was, and I honestly don't remember what I said. I think I went with the tag, even though some of the angles uh, were handled in a poor way. It still had the best action on the show, and those teams are, are very over. Um, so I think I went with the triangle tag. Uh, and then we reviewed, or just kind of gave our final thoughts in the episode. Um, it was bad. It was not a good episode. It was boring. I'm surprised that given uh, where we're at with Nash and Hall and you know their disruption and leading up to this great angle that we all know is coming at Bash at the Beach, uh, that this Nitro <laughs> was so just bland and, and not fun. Um, it wasn't even like fun awful. It was just kind of a slog to get through, to be honest with you. So not much that we said there um, that you're really missing out on. We just kind of broke down how we didn't think it was all that great. Um, but we're excited to see what happens next week in the go-home show as we continue the build uh, up to Bash at the Beach. So the way we're going to handle it, kind of cover some housekeeping here. We've got one more episode before Bash at the Beach. That'll be our Nitro coverage that you've all come to know and uh, tolerate. And then after that, we will have a Bash at the Beach episode, um, as opposed to uh, how we did our last pay-per-view episode for Great American Bash, where we covered every single match you know, in the normal detail that we do for every Nitro we're going to do the bash a little bit differently, and we're just kind of trying different things because, you know, we, we originally had only talked about covering nitros and kind of as we incorporate pay-per-views, we're trying to figure out how to do that um, as well as just tinker with the format of the show because it does uh, take a lot to, you know, call these moves or excuse me, these matches move for move. And I don't think that's anyone's favorite part of the show is, uh, you know, a detailed breakdown of, of every move in the match. So we're going to try to more summarize uh, the matches, at least on the bottom of the card. Now, when it comes to the WCW versus Outsiders match, I think we'll cover that more in the way that you're used to. Um, but just uh, this is your your warning that the Bash at the Beach 96 episode is going to be kind of trying out a little bit of new of a different formula, at least for pay-per-views. Uh, if we move to that for Nitros in the long term, uh, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I'm kind of rambling because I don't have Dave across the table to give me that bored look when I've been talking too long so uh, I will just say that we will see you very soon right back here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro